Welcome, listeners, to the Christmas episode of the MJ is Ignorant podcast. My name is MJ. I know a fair amount of stuff about several many things, but politics is not one of those things. You may be thinking, MJ, Christmas is past, and now we're on to bigger and better things with 2018. Well, you would be right, and uh, we did have some recording time all scheduled and set right before the holidays, um, and joining me here remotely is my good friend and podcast regular Josh Breskowitz, uh, and I'm going to let Josh explain why we had to reschedule. Josh? Hello, everybody. Yes, my deepest apologies for the schedule being thrown into a little bit of a disarray, um mj is right in fact i saw him literally like the day before we were supposed to record that podcast only to end up texting him and several of our other friends and most of my family uh the following morning uh letting them know that my wife had gone into labor and we were about to have a baby which we have now had and he is now about two and a half weeks old you may end up hearing him in the background for this brief segment that we're recording right now uh, he's eating, but he may get rambunctious as we keep going. Yes. Um, so my so, apologies for that. Well, no apology needed. Merry Christmas, Josh. That's super exciting. And uh, so I feel like that's as good a reason as any to record uh, after Christmas because we did have to delay things. And it was a little bit of a difficult time with the holiday season getting everybody back together. But we do have that set and the interview is about to start. So, listeners, I'd like you to remember back a couple of weeks to when we were in the height of the Christmas spirit, when everybody's hearts were full of goodwill to men and community and general positive, happy thoughts. Which brings us to the full title of the Christmas episode, which is MJ's Trump Supporter Christmas Special. So, what we're going to be doing today in the spirit of goodwill and community that represents Christmas, and also in the spirit of objectivity and learning, which represents the MJ's Ignorant podcast, is I'm going to have three Trump supporters that I'm going to be interviewing about their political views. Um, so since Josh can't be on this episode, uh, he's not able to make the whole interview, I was just going to ask him for some thoughts on my idea of getting some what would normally be considered political opponents um, onto the mics and having a hopefully fair, calm, balanced discussion with them. Josh, what are your thoughts on the MJ's Ignorant Christmas special? Um, I think it's a good idea to do. Um, you know, the, the format of the show is, you know, we've set it up since the beginning to not be a debate show. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily... I mean, I, I would imagine during the interview, we don't even necessarily go too deeply into the disagreements that people have about different political positions. Like, I don't think it's going to devolve into a conversation about healthcare policy, for example. Um, you know, given that the format of the show is explaining politics to MJ, mm -hmm. um, I I think the place where that conversation will be interesting is the explanation of politics as they exist now from that point of view. Uh, it is my personal point of view that that side of it has more explaining to do than, than yes. maybe in the uh, past. Josh, I, kudos to you. I think you've put that as generously as you could, could manage. Um, you know, we've kind of made light of the fact that Josh and I sit left of center or maybe far left sometimes. 
Um, and, you know, in the real world, that creates lots of tension, um, lots of wanting to throw our hands up and say, what are those people thinking? Um, so yeah. in this, in no, this that, go ahead. You know, at, at, at the same time, like, while, while that's all broadly generally true, I'm generally to the left of things. At the same time, I'm sure that me and the Trump supporter, whoever it is, could probably have a rough, rough agreement potentially around certain aspects of, say, reducing corporate taxes, because there are certain things that I think maybe can be good ideas there, depending, um, just as I'm sure that there are certain aspects of things that are more traditionally Democratic priorities that, depending on how they're structured or what aspect of it we want to pass, they might have some inkling of support for um, you know, that being said, while, while I'm sure we can find some agreement there, there's some explanation owed towards some of the, like the other stuff that's been going mm -hmm. around and how that factors into our politics. Like how does that side handle all of that stuff while also handling like things like the responses to Charlottesville earlier in last year, for example. Yeah. Um, and, well, and you and mentioned, um, you mentioned views on taxes when, as far as I think you and I would see it, the tax bill that just passed into law is is not really written the way it was advertised and contributes toward corporate tax cuts. And so some of that, you know, policy versus reality or rhetoric versus reality, I think we can we can maybe look into as well. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there, there, there are some nuggets of decent ideas in there around wanting to reform the tax code. But the, the explanation that I would seek from the other side is how was it, for example, how was it appropriate to uh, pass that set of ideas in the structure that was adopted in Congress to basically deliberately block out the votes of the Democratic lawmakers involved. And it, you can't really make any other claims other than the fact that Mitch McConnell structured things to block out every Democratic senator and make their opinion irrelevant in the whole process by doing this all through reconciliation and so forth. Now, maybe the Trump supporters' response to that would be, well, those Democrats are just going to resist everything that Republicans do anyway. Um, whether that's actually true or not, who knows? But, um, you know, even... People like Mitch McConnell are like, really, we could use more bipartisanships. Like, well, OK, so where was that? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not, that's not even touching how it compares to how this process compares to the process to, for example, pass the Affordable Care Act when I mean, there, there's definitely some some hypocrisies going on there, I think. Yeah. And so one gets the sense, Josh, that you've got some some really specific questions for our guest panel for the episode. So we're going to have Sarah Davies-Breen, who is a global affairs master's student at Notre Dame, standing in for Josh. Um, she is a great friend of mine, an old friend of mine, um, who kind of sits left of center like Josh and I do. Um, she'll be kind of bouncing those questions with me with some of those really specific, more knowledge-based questions from Josh. But anyway, Josh, thanks for doing a little bit of an introduction to the Christmas special with me. Um, we're sorry we can't have you, but uh, I think Sarah's going to do a great job standing in. Um, any other thoughts you have before the interview? And then you and I are going to wrap up after we have a chance to talk with our guests. No, I look forward to uh, to listening to it and see how it goes. Um, I don't think there's going to be too much of a danger of getting into too much. Like, I don't think it's going to be argumentative at all, because that's not that doesn't seem to be the spirit of the 
the folks participating in it from what I've seen so far from the, like the running conversation that I've seen. No one's yeah. spoiling for a fight necessarily. Right. And you know, my personality and the, uh, the, the approach to the podcast are certainly going to tamp that down. Hopefully uh, I can't speak for Sarah cause you know, she has a, a good long yes. history of activism even before she was right. studying politics professionally. So um, oh, and you know, don't don't get me wrong. Well, well, I'm not necessarily thinking anybody's going to spoil anybody's spoiling for a fight. And I look forward to like a good faith conversation. I also look forward to the massive Democratic gains that are assuredly coming this year. Okay, so. yeah, some uh, some opinions there from Josh. <laughs> um, more on that another time if we talk about you know voting as we talk about local politics here in the springtime or early uh, early 2018. But for now. Uh, Short break, and then we'll be back with MJ's Trump Supporter Christmas Special. Thanks, listeners. Hi, everybody. All right. Well, first off, thank you so much for all agreeing to do this, for joining me, for making the time. I know it's a busy time of year. Um, so thank you for being here for sure. Um a few words about why I wanted to do this for my Christmas episode of my podcast, which I started in October. Um, Christmas is a time of goodwill. It's a time of community. It's a time to, you know, reach out. Um, and so that's one piece of it. And then my podcast is all about objectivity. It's all about learning new things. Uh, and so I thought, what better than to get some people who disagree with me politically, people who support the president who I didn't vote for, and just get the information on, on what their political thoughts are and be in community with people who are generally voters, no matter what party they vote for, um, because we do all make the government together in this country. Um, and so I definitely thought that this was the right conversation to have for my Christmas episode. And I've uh, already recorded a preliminary segment where I've apologized to the listeners for um, having a late Christmas thing and, uh, I had Josh on there and he apologized for his baby coming. I'm just kidding. We said that he didn't need to apologize and it's all good. Um, by the way, the baby's name is Jonah. Um, he's healthy, super cute. Um, I got the chance to see him the other day because they needed some stuff from the grocery store. And I said, well, please don't leave your house. Um, so I got to see the baby. Um, that's the real reason I ran the errand for them. Um, <laughs> And yeah, everything's going awesome. Um, Josh recorded a little preliminary segment for us, so that should all be good. Um, so, and I know I collected some information from you guys about your bios and stuff for introductions, but I actually think it'd be better if you all introduced yourself. So um, just go down the line, whoever wants to start, just do an introduction, give your name, where you're from, and uh, what kind of work you do, and what kind of stuff you do that does or doesn't relate to politics. All right, so my name is Bailey. Hello. Um I am currently a student at UW-Madison. I'm starting my final semester, uh, which is terrifying, this spring. I currently work as the social media director um, for the American Conservation Coalition, which is a conservative group, or a conservative group of uh, college students working to bring clean energy talks and clean energy ideas to the table when it comes to talking about the environment. Um, I'm also the public relations director for the College Republicans National Feder or the excuse me the State Federation, and work with the um, chapter on campus. I'm also a cabinet member, which means I write and brand rep for future female leaders, and I think that's it. Yeah. Future female leaders being a female conservative blog, right? Correct. Yep, it's one of the leading social movements in the conservative group for women. Awesome. 
All right. Uh, I'm Ryan Liddell. I'm up in Minnesota here. I, uh, uh, 35, kind of married with a couple kids, doing the suburban thing, I guess. Uh, I'm more of a uh, political um, observer over the years, uh, probably since 93 or 94. I've uh, been, been close attention to this. Still remember our class uh, election of uh, Perot, Clinton, and Bush, and kind of piqued my interest then and been following it closely ever since. I've basically been in the business world for the most part. I uh, had a five-year stint working for Hennepin County up here as an analyst. So that was a really, uh, really cool experience being a uh, ultra-conservative uh, Christian-type uh, individual. Um, it was really, uh, really an awesome experience to uh, work in a place where uh, I was really a minority in many ways, in many beliefs and stuff. So, you know, lots of meetings and stuff, and it's kind of a good opportunity to uh, hear from other people and kind of see how things work um, in the trenches politically, so to speak. So, Okay. And uh, sitting in for Josh, who couldn't make it tonight, we've got Sarah Davies-Breen. Hey, I'm Sarah. I apologize for having not done my homework. I've never listened to your podcast, but I'm really excited to be here. Um, I know. <laughs> it's on my list. Look. That's okay. Uh, I, I think probably all of us assembled here can probably say we're like buried deep in backlog of podcast episodes. So It's a pretty good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and the reason I'm so backlogged is I'm actually, I just started a master's program full time this year. So I um, have been working for eight years uh, and went back to school full time, which is very weird. Um, so I'm in a global affairs program at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, so as I uh, was saying to Matt before this started, I had my pulse really on things until the semester ended about a month ago. So um, I've been in a bit of a uh, days since then. Um, but before that, I worked in higher education. I was at the University of Chicago for four years. Um, before that, I was in St. Paul. I'm from Minnesota, born and raised, so shout out. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. So um, I have always been interested in politics as somewhat of a hobby. I thought I might study it in college, but I actually wound up studying music, um, which is my connection to Matt or MJ. I'm not sure what you go by these days. And uh, yeah, so here I am. I mean, I've been I've been following along for years and uh, got <clears throat> linked back in pretty dramatically uh, during the 2016 campaign because I, it was very interesting, as I'm sure it was to all of you. And, uh, um, so do, I, do I remember it right that you were pretty active with college Democrats at Lawrence where we went to school together? Fun story. I was not. Oh, okay. I uh, was best <laughs> friends and with one of the co-presidents and I married the other co-president. So uh, I understand okay. why right. you think that. Gotcha. Um, the two most important people in my life were co-presidents of that organization, but I did not do anything else other than be their friends. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Um, and then we're back around to Bernie, who I think has got his AV stuff uh, sorted, right? My name is Bernie. Um, I'm pretty much born and raised here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, over the last three years, I really just started to travel the world and gain perspectives from other people's point of view. Um, I spent some time living in, in Jerusalem, Israel. Um, learned a lot about just as far as religious beliefs from different people around the world. And I just um, spent quite a bit of time traveling throughout Central and South America. Um, so I got to get a lot of different views from people. And as I transitioned into... Um, the profession of motivational speaking um, and 
being a life coach for people. Um, it's definitely an interesting time for me as far as um, speaking to people about Donald Trump and um, the, the way that the world is splitting off as far as liberal ideas and uh, conservative ideas. And obviously, as someone with a religious background as myself, motivational speaker, everything that I do and I say follows a conservative type of view. Um, and uh, that's about it. Awesome. All right. Thank you for doing your own introductions. I don't think I could have done it justice by any means. Um, so I've got a list of questions for Trump supporters in my effort to learn more about politics. Um, and so the way we're going to do it, um, because as you probably guessed from the intro, Sarah is not a Trump supporter. Um, I am also not a Trump supporter. Um, so the way we're going to do format wise is I'm going to ask the question and then I'm going to have you guys, um, just give your answer to it. Give your thoughts on the question in the order of Bailey, Bernie, Ryan. And then I'm going to have Sarah ask some clarifying questions or give some commentary on the answers. Uh, we're just going to go down the list. We're hopefully going to um, get through them as quick as we can. I know that your time is valuable. Um, and then that'll be all that we're doing for the recording today. And then I'll uh, be editing and publishing the episode. Any questions before we start down the list of questions? Uh, so first question for my Trump supporters for the Christmas special of the MJ is Ignorant podcast is the top two reasons that you voted for Donald Trump. All right, and I'm up first? Yep. Okay. Um, so the top two reasons why I personally voted for Donald Trump, one was his, well, I didn't agree fully with his platform points. He made some, the, he had the most that I agreed with, so he's pro-life. Um, I really uh, liked his military plan after I disagreed a lot with Obama's. Um, and I knew that regardless of his personal policy things or personal policy points, who he would pick to put in for his administration, like we have Nikki Haley currently in the UN, we have um, Mad Dog Mattis in the Department of Defense. We, I knew I could trust who he would pick. Um, and then my second reason, it's so bad, and I really hate to say it, but he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Um, as a female, I had a lot of issues with Hillary Clinton, especially with her past things with some of the sexual assault issues with her husband. Um, and the fact that she just made the assumption that women would vote for her because she was female. Um, myself and a lot of the women I surround myself, we don't vote for women based on, um, their gender. We vote for them based on their policy platforms. And that assumption just really, um, kind of took her out of the running for me completely. All right, Bernie. Um, well, for me, obviously, as someone who, who is who is who I am, I think that people always forget that everyone tend, I guess, in the, different than the last example, people tend to take care of their own. Um, people tend to look out for their own well-being and their family's well-being and the kind of person that they are. Well-being, that's a pretty much a trait that's followed in most of the world. And being, obviously, a white Jewish middle-class American, obviously, a lot of things that Donald Trump is doing are directly benefiting me. The things that he's saying, the things that he's doing are, are directly benefiting me even before he was president just by saying the things that he was saying. So obviously the support for Israel, the vocal support for Israel is something right off the bat. Um, that was amazing for me and all my people to hear. And then obviously being a white class, um, you know, a white middle class American with my family owning our own business. Um, I knew that the things that he was saying were going to directly benefit our business. So obviously we have to look after our own first. Um, 
and I guess the second reason um, would be that I think the world has really turned into a place where there's consistently something being said that's steering around the point of something that can be productive. I, I will never sit here and say that people don't have hard lives, that there aren't things holding people back from things, that, that I can understand other people's way of living. I'll never try to say that, but what I can say is that a lot of things are being said that are counterproductive. And I think that if we just look directly at what the problem is always, then at least we can find a way of being more productive and being better with our time um, and, and just really reaching our, getting closer to reaching our dreams. And I think that obviously having a salesman in office and someone who just says the, bru- the brass tacks, the brutal honesty, I think it will help people more than consistently providing a reason why it's okay that they didn't do what they needed to do that day. For me, those are the main two reasons. Okay, Ryan. Uh, for me, it was uh, economic was the main reason. I, I truly believe that his economic ideas and plans are better for our country. Um, I know that talking points, you know, people argue that, but I just feel that at the end of the day, we're better off when we have more money in our pockets overall. I think that that really, um, as simple as it sounds, is a good economic uh, stimulator. Um, second one, probably. So, like I said, I've been kind of following this stuff for, you know, 25 years. And I've always heard that the Republican candidate is a sexist, the racist, the hate gays. They have all these kind of uh, um, associations with them. And it's consistent. Every single candidate, Bob Dole, John McCain, Mitt Romney, they all love the rich. They hate the poor. They hate minorities. And it's it's too consistently said to be true. It, it, the Republican Party would have changed by now if that was actually true. They would have said this clearly doesn't work. Trump came in, and I, I kind of saw what we're seeing now, that you know that drain the swamp kind of thing. Uh, the idea to put this on its head a little bit, to spin this around. Um, I know we'll probably get to this later. Um, he has unconventional methods, we'll say, to uh, <laughs> combat that. But uh, the idea of shedding the light on what goes on behind the scenes in Washington, I think will be very beneficial for the American people. I think it will open the door for better candidates going forward. And hopefully we can stop having this voting for the person I least hate kind of mentality. So we'll see. Okay. Awesome. Um, Definitely very personal, heartfelt answers from all of you. Um, And then we've got clarifying questions or comments from Sarah. This is awesome. Thanks for for doing this. Um, I think I want to start, Ryan, with what you just said, because I don't I don't know that I understand your second point. Um, I don't think I understand your second point. Can you can you explain to me a little bit more? What I heard was that um, you have consistently heard a message about Republican candidates that they are a certain stereotype and that that stereotype is generally negative in social ways, that they're sexist, they're racist, they're homophobic. Um, and you also said that you think Donald Trump is somehow shining a light. And, and, and you said that you don't believe those things because it, it couldn't hold up over 25 years if it were true, um, which I, I guess I don't quite understand that logic. Um, but then I also don't understand how we tied that to Donald Trump 
um, bringing new people into Washington and shining a light somehow on what's happening in Washington. So I guess if you can help me understand how those are connected, and then um, I want to push back a little bit on the logic that uh, just because something's been said for 25 years, it can't be true. And and I have some sort of counterpoints if if you're going to stick with that logic. Sure. Well, the, the biggest thing and is... B- before we continue, um, I want to make sure Sarah knows the rule on the podcast, which is no debating. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen to those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sorry. I. Uh, What's the point? <laughs> the point is to, uh, t- to learn new things. So that's why um, the, 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 it was specified as clarifying questions. <laughs> All right. That's cool. I still ask my questions. Yeah. That's perfect. Right. I think I can tiptoe around that for you. <laughs> Non-debate debating. Well, no, lean into it. I, I really, I don't understand. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. So um, a big thing is, as we've seen these candidates get these, you know, um, kind of stereotypes pinned to them. The first time ever we're seeing a pushback against it. And, and it's not, it's not sticking. It, it didn't stick to Trump. I don't really know the social psychology of why from like this. I think people understand that the media aspect of it seems to always push that same narrative time and time again. And I mean, you know, if you, have examples that I'm not thinking of um, specific examples are never really overly present for all those candidates. Um, I can't speak personally to Trump's history, his past, you know, whatever kind of thing. So, you know, I don't, I definitely don't want to get into that kind of hearsay, but I do feel that he's, he goes back at them against it. He, um, when the, when it's like, you're a racist, he, kind of fires back at it. He doesn't just say, no, I'm not, and then move on. That's kind of what George W. Bush did. What does he say? What's that? What does he say? What does Donald Trump say? Yeah, when people call him a racist. Well, it depends who says it. He seems to have a very specific uh, arsenal for (laughs) whoever comes at him. Um, But to, I guess, that's kind of the end game of it. For me, everything leading up to it, where there's like no evidence of, John McCain is touted as his hero by, by Democrats now. He's like the ideal Republican. Whereas eight short years ago, he was vilified as this, you know, hypocrite because I think one of his children uh, were, was gay. Or, you know, they would kind of say his military record was kind of suspect. But then when Donald Trump says it, all of a sudden he's this insensitive person attacking a war hero. Um, so that's kind of an example of the inconsistencies that the media will hate someone and love him. Remember, the media loved Donald Trump in the, before he, when the primaries first started. They were like, he's great for the Republicans. He's a, he's an out, he's a different taste from what we've seen. And if you go back to the YouTube videos of it, he actually was like, they wanted him as the candidate. And, I agree. Yeah. But, but then now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we didn't see this coming and now we hate him. And this, this kind of flip of the coin that happens. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a cynic by nature, so when when I see that, it, it calls calls everything into question. And when I put that in with even Bush 41 against Clinton, when Clinton only won with what 43 percent of the vote, that it just wasn't. It, it was like this clear uh, kind of bully or ganging up on the Republican candidate. If you don't like the policies, 
you know, that's fine. We can debate that. We can argue that. But not on this show. What's great? Not, <laughs> not on the show. That's right. There's enough <laughs> podcasts doing Sorry. that. But I, I guess so, I guess I'm, I'm one of those voters yeah. that got a little tired of the idea that Republicans want all old people to die, that they want all poor people to leave the country, that we want no immigrants in here at all, that all these kind of uh, stereotypes that have been touted for so long that people believe them to be true. When they're so I, when, okay, so I hear you that you're saying you've heard these stereotypes for a really long time. And you don't see them in Trump or his policies. So you think that he is a candidate that doesn't perpetuate the stereotype of a Republican. That makes I sense. haven't seen those in the policies that he set forward at the moment. So I guess cool. that's my answer. Uh, yeah. I guess he's kind of he's 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 taken the bullets that have taken down other Republican candidates and he's still standing there. I think so what challenges me most about this is that I hear you saying I don't like the narrative about the Republican Party that's been concocted over 20 years. So I wanted to elect someone who takes down the Republicans who've been in the party for the past 20 years. I think that's where my confusion is in. It's like, I, that doesn't totally, I, I understand the, the draw for Trump as someone different from the past 20 years, but I guess I don't understand tying that to defending Republicans over the past 20 years. Well, that was my second point. The main point was the economic aspect compared to Clinton. I get there's a question I think on the primaries. We can that'll get to how I got to Trump, maybe. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you. That was my clarifying question. I hope I didn't break the rules too much. Um, okay, cool. Let um, me see. I'm looking at. I'm looking for Bailey and Bernie to see if I had clarifying questions there. Okay. Um, yeah, if, this is a podcast where uh, if you have a notebook while you're recording it, you're doing it right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I have my notes on my computer. Does that count? <laughs> yep. Yes. Absolutely. That counts even more. God, it's 2018, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to save the paper. Save cool. the trees. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Hoggling screens? That's crazy. <laughs> Bailey, however we ever disagree, you can save me with the, the conservative uh, environmental argument. So I love it. <laughs> I am. Just doing what I can. <laughs> yeah, I guess I think that's all that I, I – I don't have any other questions on the, the first go-round. I know you have other questions prepared, so let's, okay. let's keep moving. Yeah, excellent. So um, – Ryan mentioned the primaries question. That one's next up. Uh, the question is simply, who did you support in the primaries before the general election? Cool question. Um, all right. So in the primaries, I supported Marco Rubio. Um, I thought he was a fresh and young candidate for the Republican Party. He would have been a great new face, I think, of revitalizing, especially the millennials in the party. Um, I really appreciated his background as an immigrant, especially with his family, talking about how they basically came from nothing. And I thought that since immigration is also an important um, important policy point for me, I'm also studying Spanish at UW-Madison. And I actually hope to one day to go to law school and help work in immigration law and help re help fix this mess that is our immigration system. Um, so I thought that he could have brought a really great perspective, even though he's still kind of in the Senate. I thought he would have brought a really cool perspective as president. Um, I also really enjoyed that he was an avid supporter of religious liberty. I'm a practicing Catholic, and that is something that um, for me is kind of one of the bigger points when I'm looking at candidates is how they view religious freedom and how they view religious liberty in the context of our modern world. All right, Bernie. Um, 
like I said once again, I, I know absolutely zero politics. You could even say I know less than zero about politics. But um, I guess I would just touch on uh, the point that Bailey just made. I really liked her point, um, which why I've continued to stick with Donald Trump is for two great reasons. Um, well, obviously, religion is a huge one. And just being able to have a chance to speak my religious opinions a little more freely and be a little more comfortable and being able to be able to be steadfast in what I believe in and, and the things that I believe about my religion that I think could help every single person in this world. Um, and I think his support for Israel and the foundations that we have as far as the American-Israeli um, relationship is huge. Um, and then I just wanted to touch on, I know you mentioned studying Spanish. That's what I've been doing is studying Spanish for about four months or so, traveling throughout Central and South America. And, and I love Mexican people and I love being in Mexico and I love gaining that that sense and um i just wanted to touch on that because you know latin culture is my favorite and those are my favorite people and they're all catholics but when i talk to them you know obviously traveling i'm, I'm a white person i look white you know i look like an american gringo and i go down there and, and they go first question is always like oh well, well you voted for trump and i don't say yes right away but i say to, to clarify is that a question they ask of all gringos you voted for trump <laughs> Pretty much. That's pretty fascinating. Much, yes. Fascinating. Pretty much. Right off the bat. Oh, so what do you think of Trump? Um, you know, um, and really what I say is, is uh, you know, I start off, like I said, I said, well, I am, a, you know, a white middle, middle class Jewish American, and he does take care of our own. And, and then I kind of go on, well, you know, to be honest, do you guys really care about what happens to me as an American? Do you really care about my quality of life as an American? Does that come across your day-to-day -day thoughts? And they think about it for a second, and they really just respond, no. No, I, I really don't care as far as the quality of life that you're living as an American. They say, I'm trying to take care of my own. And I say, I do not blame you one bit. Because um, I think in the end of the day, that's what we all try to do. If anyone tries to say they don't identify with their own group or their own family or their own religion or their own culture, it'd be hard for me to believe. I don't see anyone hanging out with people that are in the exact opposite cultures and religions as them on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so, yes, from the get-go, um, I've been with Trump. I think a lot of the things that are happening now are destructive, but I think if we are able to create a narrative that says you need to make better decisions every single day, and if that's the narrative that we can create, I think more good will come of it than anything else. Okay. And so I take from all that you voted for Donald Trump all throughout the primary process. Oh yeah. All okay. the way through. All the way through. All right. Perfect. Ryan. Yeah. Can I just clarify something oh, quick? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, Bailey, I have a question too. Um, just to clarify for me, I was not able to vote for Marco Rubio in the primary. Um, our primary is in April. So I voted for Ted Cruz in the primary. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. I just wanted to clarify that because Rubio dropped out March 15th okay. or like somewhere around there. So, But um, throughout the whole campaign process, you were in favor of him with debates and all that stuff. Correct. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> and Sarah, Sarah, you had a bit? Yeah, this is a, this is a interplay question. So if it's, if it's, you know, it's a lot no of go, just tell me. But, um, <laughs> I'll allow it. I'm really struck by what Bernie's saying here about, you know, taking care of your own. And I think that's super true. And I, I think we don't talk about that a lot. Um, on any side of any aisle. And, and I, I want to know what 
Bailey, what you think about that in regard to women in politics and um, particularly at the presidential level, how, what for you, um, is it or isn't it important to see women candidates and women succeeding in, in politics in that, in that way that um, Bernie was sort of speaking about, like representation and, and having your own interests represented? Yeah. So I think overall, like as a woman, I would love to see more women in office. I would love to see women representing us at every level. But for me, when I look at a candidate and the other women I've spoke to, especially within FFL or different organizations I'm involved in on campus, for us, it while we would love to see more women and we advocate and we support women who run for office, we do, we do so first because we believe in what they believe in. I Does that make sense? We, yeah. we want to push, like we have our interests, but not every woman has the same interest. Oh, for sure. You and I definitely have different interests, especially, especially politically, if you just look at that. Um, so while like as a woman, like it's great to see you running, I wouldn't be able to support you on a political level. And I think that's a distinction. Like, yes, it's great to see Hillary Clinton being the first major political party nominee. But at the same time, that doesn't make me want to vote for her anymore because I don't agree with her politically. And for me, gender doesn't run a country. Policy does. And gentlemen, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Uh, It's actually refreshing hearing what uh, Bailey was saying. Um, I think one of the biggest traps we fall into is we... We start putting people in the compartments based on their gender, the color of their skin, or their orientation, and we start uh, we start celebrating the fact that hey, you know, someone made it through the gauntlet, and regardless of what their ideas are, and, um, I don't know if, how to uh, pull that back to be more idea focused. Um, like Barack Obama, I I honestly didn't like really care that he was a black president, like. That's just not how I personally saw him. Like it was, you know, a candidate with policies that I was very worried about. And the same with Hillary Clinton. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I worry that we sometimes have gotten, gotten to the point that we overvalue um, things that really have nothing to do with policy to the point where we'll uh, cut off our nose to spite our face. Yeah. So how does that sit with this idea of, um, one's own interests. Like, I think that's a complicated thing to hold, right? Is this idea that um, something about one candidate spoke to people in a way that something about another candidate didn't. Um, and I'm thinking specifically, you know, uh, Bernie himself has said, you know, I'm a white male and he's looking out for me. And, and I think it's hard to have it both ways, right? Like, I think that obviously placed to something, um, somebody's identity, like that's, that's kind of human nature, right? Like, and I find that part of what happened in the 2016 election, super fascinating. You make no. a great point. I'm sorry to cut you off, Bailey. I think you make Are a you great fine? point. I, I think you, you raised something to me um, as far as thinking that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we all think the certain way that we think. I think people always say that saying, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Well, first of all, their shoes probably don't fit on my feet, so I don't understand how I'm supposed to do that. It seems like it seems like also an almost impossible thing to do. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think at the end of the day, you're going to live life based off your own experiences. Anyone that says that they don't live life based off their own experiences is probably lying to you. 
you can't live life based off someone else's experiences. So for these political candidates, male, black, white, you see them, you react to how they act, and you base your opinion based off how they act. No, I didn't hate Barack Obama because he was black and I'm because I'm white. I didn't like Barack Obama because when I hear him speak about things that I care about, I could tell he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Anyone listening could hear him speak about we need to support Israel and know that he didn't really care. He was just pretty much saying it because that's what American presidents need to say. You hear Donald Trump say it, you clearly tell that he wants to support Israel. You see the things that he's doing. It's clear. You watch Hillary Clinton, the things that she says, you fa- you base your own opinion off your own personal experiences with people. You see how she acts and you can tell there was pandering. There wasn't a true sense of what she really cared about. The things that she cared about, I think they come off pretty clear. The things she didn't care about, I, I think you could hear it in their voice that they didn't care about policies, everything else aside. I think you can judge a person based off your own experiences in life and your own experiences with people. I hope that kind of answers your question. Thank you. Awesome. And then, uh, Back to the original question. I think that yeah, was that's an, where I answered. <laughs> no, thank you so much. I think that was an excellent kind of uh, tangent that we took. I think that um, was all important stuff to have have be said on this episode. And then Ryan, who did you support in the primaries? So it depends uh, at what point. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my my original guy was actually Chris Christie. Um, hmm. So I, I'm a I'm as in finance. I'm an accountant and I, I'm analytical. Um, been an analyst and so. The debt issue of this country is by far uh, my greatest uh, concern, and uh, political parties w- d- don't matter. Um, I actually blame Reagan a lot for uh, the debt problem that we have, believe it or not. And I am a <laughs> Reagan guy, as you would say. Like I, because I'm I'm a logical person. I see that just the facts are the facts, you know. And so um, that's side note. Anyway, Christie, I feel like understood um, that tough choices were need to be need to be made. He offered the uh, audacity to say, maybe we push back um, uh, the social security benefits, um, not for the people there already, but for people in our, on this podcast here, that maybe we add a year for each generation or something to that effect. I can't forget the details um, because basically we have a money problem. We need to change that. People are living longer. You know, we need to do something about it. He had an idea and was uh, daring enough to say it. And it probably that in the whole Bridgegate thing basically sunk him, unfortunately. Um, I moved then to Rubio just because I felt like he was probably the best of the bunch. Um, I, I, he didn't like strike me out. It, it was kind of more of one of those, okay, he's a Republican guy. Okay. He's not Bernie. He's not Hillary. So I'll go behind Rubio. And that's, that's not a good reason to probably support him, but it was good enough for me. I never really backed uh, Ted Cruz as much. Um, I didn't back Trump probably until the head-to-head with Clinton, actually. Um, I supported Evan McCollum for a little bit until I uh, did some research on him and realized he's only campaigning in two states that were uh, very strategic. And so um, that kind of... Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of complicated uh, um, submit-your-candidacy rules with McCollum. I actually... Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. probably going to cut this out in editing, but I think Evan yeah. McCollum's awesome. I follow yeah. him on Twitter, but uh, sorry, go ahead <laughs> with no. your answer. Doesn't, doesn't seem like a logical choice to me. Oh, fair enough. Go I ahead with your answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it seemed pretty clear that he didn't have uh, White House aspirations. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, he's a good follow, though. That's definitely true. So. 
Okay, awesome. Um, Sarah, do you have anything else in terms of clarifying questions for the primary question? Yeah, thanks. Awesome. All right, next up we have... All right, this is a good one. This should be a really fun set of answers. Um, what Democratic candidates would you have voted for or what Democratic candidates would you vote for now if they were running? Okay, so I actually, I would not be able to bring myself to vote for any of them. Um, if it came down to that, I would have actually gone third party um, and then say like either Darrell Castle for the Constitution Party or even Evan McMullen if I had to. Um, I really, I was a first time, this was my first presidential election to vote for. Um, and I know that makes me seem really young and I'm sorry. <laughs> it just makes me feel old. It's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah's exactly right. Um, so, <laughs> so overall, my pickings of candidates were not ideal. Um, so honestly, I would have, I can honestly say though, I would have not voted for any of the democratic candidates. And what about why? any, any dem Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Answer Sarah's question of why. <laughs> Um, overall, so a little background on me too. I grew up in a family that's mainly Democrats. Um, I'm one of like maybe two Republicans in my entire family. Um, I have just seen, I don't agree with some of the biggest part, like some of the biggest policy points to me, um, just are complete opposites of the Democratic Party. And I really don't want to, I didn't want another four years of watching people struggle, of watching our military lose its ranking as one of the best in the world or as the best in the world. And I was really just getting frustrated with having a president who didn't reflect views that could bring or didn't reflect views that would turn into policy positions that would move our country forward to the future. I'm just, I'm in college. I want to have a successful future and the democratic candidates couldn't have given me that. Hmm. Okay. And, um, were, were there current Democrats that you would vote for? Any Anybody on the Democratic Party that if they jumped for a presidential run, you'd support them? I would have to do more research to okay. find one, maybe. Um, but I can't say any right now. Let's um, then take as a shortcut answer. Are there anybody in the Democratic Party that you just <laughs> like? You like them. You like how um, they, you like uh, their rhetoric, you like their policy, whatever. Well, I'd say I like Donna. I always is it Brazil? Is that Brazil? How do you say her last name? She was a former. She's like an intern chair of the DNC. She's the one who exposed Hillary Clinton's campaign just a disaster with the DNC. Yeah, um, I really appreciated how she was honest with everyone with what happened during the campaign. Um, she actually had a great tweet today about. I don't know if anyone saw it. Uh, she tweeted out at um, Bannon for being fired from Breitbart News, and she said, um, "At least it was my own book that got her." like kicked out. Um, so I have to give her props for that one, but I'm not going to lie. That's a pretty good tweet. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I feel like that's fantastic. It was the first one that popped up on my timeline when I opened it today. Um, but other than that, I just, I struggle because of the main issues that are important to me. I'm usually exact opposite with, with a majority of the democratic candidates. And I just can't, I refuse to compromise on certain issues. Okay. What did you think about Tim Kaine? I, I'm serious. I, I and I say that because you you <laughs> identified as Catholic and you said that um, the 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 pro life um, mm -hmm. issue is very important to you. And so I'm I'm reading between the lines a little bit. And yeah. You totally tell me if I'm wrong. But I'm thinking that that's a big part of your decision. It um, is, but it's, it's not it's the big, only part for sure. And and so one of the things that I really admire about Tim Kaine is his faith and his commitment to his faith and mm -hmm. his ability to balance that with being a public servant and, and, 
um, needing to follow the law, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uphold what's, what's yeah. law, um, in a way that's fair and not, um, imposing his religion on anyone else. So I'm, I'm genuinely curious about what you, I mean, yeah. obviously he has a lot of stances and I'm not asking you to speak to his entire <laughs> platform. So I'm, you know, I'm being a little bit, um, limited in, in my questioning there, but I'm, yeah, I, no. I think he was a really interesting Democrat, um, especially compared to a lot of the other people on the national stage in recent years. No, and I agree. And I think it did speak volumes to me, at least that he was, you know, Catholic pro-life. But at the same time, that also has to balance for me with his views on the military, with the economy. And the other thing that kind of just drew me away was his connection with Hillary Clinton. Like I said, I've quite a few problems with Hillary Clinton um, as a public servant and the public eye. And I think that connection with her ultimately is what was like, I can't support him. Even though I like applaud him for his views of being Catholic and being pro-life, um, which I actually wasn't Catholic at practicing Catholic at the time of the um, of the election, which is a long story. But <laughs> those views are just um, just they have to be balanced. Like I'm not a single voter issue. I'm not a single voter or single, single issue, issue voter. Excuse yeah. me. Wow, words. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you yeah. say is that. E- you know, you couldn't get over um, Clinton on the ticket, basically, and anyone chosen by her was kind of marked by her name on the ticket. So kind of. that doesn't really answer my question of what you thought about Tim Kaine. It, I think it does, though, because if he's willing to surround himself with Hillary Clinton, for me, just some of the things she said, the way she's acted has just kind of, it drew me away from her. And But I'm not I don't talking know. about Clinton, but he, I know I'm, I know yeah, I'm so, so I want to I want to step in here. Um, yeah, and uh, go ahead. I'm so glad that I had you on, uh, Sarah, because you know so much more than me, um, and that allows me to kind of step back and facilitate the discussion a little bit. Um, the The question is kind of absent of all of the events of the 2016 election. Um, what person who serves in the Democratic Party or who is aligned with the Democratic Party would you would you support? So I think um, Sarah is a reach. That's a question. I'm just going to throw it out there. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Feedback. Yeah. Um, uh, But yeah, Sarah, then your clarification. You proved me wrong, but I think it's a reach of a question. (laughs) Your uh, your clarification is right then um, to ask us Tim Kaine, uh, aside from having allied himself with Hillary Clinton. Right. Right. I mean, I'm wondering if he's up there because I think he doesn't look like a lot of the other people. You know, we haven't been talking about him since the election because he lost. And you, you, you also mentioned, um, and we, we've, we've mentioned the Spanish language and the Spanish culture piece. Um, he did, he did a really, I think, powerful move during the primaries, which was, or, uh, you know, I don't remember when it was, um, but he, he stepped up there and gave his entire acceptance speech in Spanish. Yeah. Which I think a good point to that though, that you just said is he, you said he disappeared. Like we haven't heard about him since the election. So I think from a strategic political move too, as someone who also looks at politics in that manner, his national recognition and his national name recognition rates, are they going to be high enough to sustain him in a political office if he was elected? And I think while I also balance things out with, like I said, I didn't agree with his, his economic views, the military views, Name recognition is also something that's important because I want a president or I want someone in office who's going to, who knows what's happening around the country. And if people don't know your name, do you really 
have that good of an idea? Have you talked to those voters? Do you know what's going on in that area? If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't agree, but it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we've got to leave it there. Uh, we're going to totally. move on to Bernie with um, Democratic candidates you would have supported or would support if they ran now. Sure. Well, I don't ever mean to dodge your question <clears throat> or actually just not answer it at all. But <laughs> all right, I'm going to I'm gonna try to put something in um, from based off what I know. Um, so as far as Democratic candidates, you know, my name is Bernie and I'm Jewish. And I'm pretty sure there was a Jewish Bernie that ran, uh, you know, <laughs> this year. So people that's, pretty much. Um, uh, if any listeners are interested, that's my answer to the primaries question. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other than being in, in Mexico where they don't exactly, you know, or in Latin America where they don't exactly know what a Jewish person is. Uh, any of my friends, people here that know that I'm Jewish, you know, said, oh, you must love Bernie Sanders. You know, your name's Bernie and you're Jewish. Uh and they couldn't be further from the truth. And it kind of connects my first point, which was that, like, he's a white, you know, Jewish male, but he didn't seem to really stand for our people at all. Um, I'm not sure what he stood for. He always just stood for the person who was having the hardest go at life or the person who seemed to be doing, be, do, be done wrong. Um, and, instead of ever mentioning the people that are just making poor decisions. So I really disliked everything that he did because nothing he said ever held somebody up to an onus where you need to be better. You need to make better decisions. Sure. Look, there's a lot of people mostly outside of America. I think that really don't have a shot at creating the life that they want. Seeing that in central and South America opened my eyes a lot. Look, people don't have a shot, but I'm going to say that most people in America definitely have a shot at doing what they want out of their life. Even in the slums, even in poor neighborhoods. I, I last I checked, I got out student loans and I went to a crappy community college and I went door to door, knocking on doors, um, trying to sell things until I was able to create a life for myself without really much help from anybody. So I think America, if you have that go-getter attitude, I think you can do whatever you want. Look, there's maybe some people who don't have that range of decision-making that they can make um, to, to be better. Maybe there are some people that are truly helpless and we do need to help them, but I think that middle class of people that middle range where there is a lot of that can be done based off their own decisions. Um, I think that's where there is room to help. I don't think Bernie Sanders was helping anyone in that effect. I think he was getting everyone to say, well, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. So, you know, the, the system's got me down. I'm screwed. Maybe there's nothing I can do. There's plenty of people. I'm sure what he was saying is true, but I think there's a lot of people also for what he was saying. They thought, Oh, you know what? Based off what he's saying, I, I'm in a bad position and there's not a lot I can do. And if I fail, it's not my fault. And I think that's the most destructive mindset facing the world today. Um, and then it continues on with Hillary Clinton, why I would never support her. She was just pandering to people's complaints. I saw some video where she, they said, what do you carry around in your handbag? And she said, hot sauce. I carry around hot sauce. She was at like a, a rap radio show interview. And then she said, are you pandering? And she said, so what if I was? And then she put on a concert, paid for a concert by Jay-Z, and he and saying that, you know, Jay-Z supports Hillary, Hillary supports Jay-Z, and he went on to perform 99 Problems and a B ain't one. And I don't understand how any of that could be productive for anybody around. So just to answer your question, couldn't think of anyone that I would have supported on the Democratic side. Uh, I can't support any of that counterproductive activity. I think there's always something that can be said to better ourselves and to get us closer to success. 
Um, at the end of the day, there will be systems in place to help people who have no way of helping themselves. I do believe that. Um, but if we want to destroy the country, um, we'll take away the idea that people can always help themselves out of the situation that they're in. Okay. Anybody who identifies as a Democrat that you, um, that you just like any, any random like Senator, governor, anybody in any office who identifies as a Democrat that you were just like, Hey, I kind of like what he has to say. She has to say. You know, it's it's really tough for me because a, a lot of it is, it does seem to take a very opposite viewpoint of, of where I stand and I stand in a pretty specific place. So, um, not sure that I can answer that question all too well, except for with what I said. So sorry. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Al Franken. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so glad this isn't a live podcast. But seriously, though. <laughs> don't get me started on Franken. I have very right, complex feelings. Yeah, we don't have the time for that, Sarah. Sorry. We don't have time for that. <laughs> um, no, honestly, um, if I, I approach this with the idea that it's basically two Democrats that I either I have to vote for. Um, I'm not really familiar with a Democrat that um, trusts the American people to take care of its own, as opposed to a Democratic candidate that believes the government needs to take care of uh, its people. Um, that's kind of a moral distinction that I find um, every Democrat candidate that I can think of seems to have, that it's, uh, you know, they, they don't seem to trust uh, the wealthier, the corporations or the, the whatever you want to, uh, whatever you want to call them to, take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. Um, they seem to feel like that they're not going to do it, so we're going to do it for them. At least that's the, uh, the narrative that they put on paper. Um, so if there's a candidate I'm not familiar with that um, maybe does have a little more faith in uh, the common man and faith in the wealthy and the char- generosity and the charity of, of the American people that we see whenever there's a natural disaster, um, you know, that'd be a candidate that I, that I would look a second time at, definitely. Um, you know, I don't know who the Blue Dog uh, Caucus group is these days. Um, there might be some. I don't know if it there. actually exists anymore. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> is that just candid? Um, Blue Dog, MJ being uh, more Republican-leaning uh, Democrats, but okay, yeah, that's a good point, Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's it's. And I kind of feel like I heard this from all of you all the way through. It's it's very much a philosophical divide. Um, nobody. I voted no, for no, a Democratic no, mayor. Who's that? Uh, Brad. Uh, shoot, I forget his name. Couldn't have liked him that much. <laughs> it was like five years ago. Shoot, uh, I'm blanking on it now. Man, I was that on was that here in Madison or in? Uh, it's, in it's in Minnesota here. In Minnesota, okay. But I'm not a big fan of him anymore, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> Um, we're going to veer in a, in a totally different direction. Um, and this will relate well to both, um, the party episode that we did in episode two in what is the value of political parties. It'll also relate when we do uh, specific episodes on the democratic and Republican party, um, which Bailey, you're definitely going to be a part of. Um, <laughs> so the question is, what do you feel is the mission or goal of the Republican party? And what about the democratic party? 
Um, and there's a there's a tagline on this. What experiences have you had to develop these feelings? But I feel like that's maybe a little more detailed. Um, so just the first part of it. Did you think of it, Sarah? You're raising your hand. I did think of it, and I think it's probably relevant to this. Um, because Ryan was saying that he doesn't think he's seen any Democratic candidates that believe in um, people's ability to take care of their own and that you want the, they want the government to do it for them. And my question is, can the government be the way that people take care of their own? Is that like, is that actually an opposition? I guess I would suggest have you uh, seen any like uh, budget earmarks or anything of that nature? How do you mean? That's a uh, big mean, question. How I mean, I guess, is that the um, when the government takes over a, a charitable movement, the dollars tend to s disappear quickly. And I actually took my job at Hennepin County to kind of see if this was actually true firsthand. And I, you know, I don't know, I don't have a ratio, but if it wouldn't shock me if it was seventy-five percent markup of costs when the government takes over some kind of a charitable cause. Um, in a perfect world, all the wealthy would take care of all the non-wealthy. Obviously, that's not the case because there is human nature involved. We all tend to resort to selfishness sometimes. But I've I haven't seen enough examples of government uh, programs creating a success rate warranting its existence, if that makes sense. Bernie, do you agree that in a perfect world, the rich people would take care of the poor people? Oh, you got me started. This has been, I'm not going to rant too long about this, but this is something I've been ranting about a lot lately. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm heavily involved in the music industry and like getting into acting and getting on all that stuff. And, and I'm just so confused on how we can have these rappers and athletes specifically. I always pick on the rappers and athletes, um, how they can have millions and billions of dollars, how they can have mansions and cars, and then they can go out and they can make a statement complaining about what Donald Trump's doing or complaining about what other people are doing. These guys have so much money. If all the rappers and athletes that came directly from the heart of Chicago donated that money back into the area in Chicago that's causing it to be the number one rate of murder per capita GDP in the, in the world right now, I'm pretty sure you can almost fix the entire neighborhood. So I think 100% possible the ultra-wealthy can completely help the, the lower class. I think it's completely possible. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I love morally Donald Trump as a human being because I think he's got millions and billions of dollars. He, he could probably go march into the poor areas in, in, in Israel and fix their quality of lives and stop people from starving. So I think it's 100% possible. But, you know, I would ask you a rebuttal question. Why, why, you know, on the liberal side of things, is there not more onus put on these these rappers, these athletes, these actors, these multimillionaires, these people who have made their, their millions off of nothing that I would say requires any equatable skill? They're not doctors. They're not lawyers. They didn't help people go their way to their top. How are they people that can speak out about issues, call people out, be the role models of today, be the people that people listen to and look up to, and yet they're only donating a small, small part of their huge fortune, and they're still a horrible influence. Um, 
I think, it, yes, the top, the culture in America. Now we got rappers and athletes going, trying to become president. We got The Rock going to become, you know, talk about being president. We got Oprah Winfrey talking about becoming president. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to step in here for a second and say that um, from my knowledge of everybody on the screen in front of me, nobody supports that idea. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> okay. Well, your question, restate your question for me one time. I'll answer it very quickly. Oh, I just, I was just kind of poking between the two of you because I, I heard you say pretty clearly um, when you were talking about Bernie Sanders that you didn't like his message that people were helpless uh, in their situations and that you were sort of calling um, to personal responsibility for for situations in life, right? And to, to help make your own change. And so that seems to me to be an interestingly different perspective than Ryan's, which was really in an ideal world, we would all take care of each other and the people who have things would provide for those who do not have it. And maybe I'm wrong in my interpretation, but that doesn't seem like the same. So I I wanted to poke that a little bit and see kind of what you guys think of, you know, talking to each other about that. You're not wrong. And I think that that's maybe one of the things I do disagree about. I don't think anyone should ever have that much money. I don't think there's any reason for someone to have that much money. And I'm not saying communism or anything, but I am saying some sort of sliding scale. There shouldn't be billionaires and then there shouldn't be people starving. But at the same time, towards the middle of the ground, the middle area is the people that need to be more held accountable. Um, I think everyone needs to be held accountable, even the bottom. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I must disagree, I guess, with, with where Trump stands on that aspect. No one should have billions and billions. And if you do have billions, you need to make sure that a certain chunk of it is going directly to who needs it the most. This is, you can totally cut this, but this is one of my favorite things I, um, about JK Rowling is she's one of the only people to be on like the, the world's wealthiest, uh, billionaires list who's dropped off of it because she believed, uh, it was it was just immoral to have that much money. Um, so she said, you know, everybody only needs so much. So I completely agree with you there, and I, I'm inspired by people who feel as you and I do on that issue. I think someone should say that to every other billionaire. What you just said, I think the whole world should know that. I think every other billionaire should know that. Yeah, uh, one of my hopes when I leave this program um, is to work for somebody like. Maybe Bill Gates, who has taken on all of his money and Warren Buffett's fortune and is putting it towards, uh, you know, good good works in the world and eradicating diseases and things like that. So I, I feel really strongly about this. I appreciate you talking about it. Yeah, thank you. All right. So quick then down the line, we'll do um, what do you see as the mission of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party? We'll just do all three of you real quick in succession and then we'll move on to the next question. Um, I, for me personally, I think that both parties have somewhat of the same goal right now that can be boiled down to unity. Um, the 2016 election cycle was extremely divisive in both parties. And I think right now a lot of the focus is figuring out how to pull everyone together to get ready for 2018 and beyond. All right. Bernie? Uh, not to be ultra um, offensive, but I think that Republicans are saying the problem is what it isn't. And I think Democrats are saying the problem is what it is. Fair enough. Ryan? 
uh, I feel that their goal at least should be uh, fiscal responsibility and uh, utilizing the free market for uh, the problems that our, our country faces. Um, having a better handle on what entitlement really means and uh, a more accurate review of those programs. Um, something that a company does when you write a policy is you don't write a policy addendum or amendment for a handful of people. You let those handful of situations uniquely be handled individually. You don't rewrite the whole thing for the whole company to take care of a couple people, which I feel like is kind of what uh, we're trying to do right now. Okay. And so to clarify your answer, um, the Republican Party's mission is the fiscal responsibility and free market part, and that you feel the Democratic Party is going in the direction of writing policy for everybody that's based on a small group. Do I have that all right? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're, yeah, I think that's pretty good. Okay. So I just wanted to reiterate, I think I might have said the Democrats are saying the problem is what it isn't, and the Republicans are saying, problem is what it is ah okay yes that's the opposite I, of what you said before okay all right perfect that's all that i meant to say can i ask you about that i want to know what you think the problem is that that the republicans are addressing and what you think the, the democrats are wrongly addressing sure can sure I, I think it's always the same argument that i have with people around in a circle maybe maybe there is a problem that it that you know other than what, what the truth, we can always say, okay, here's the problem right here. And then a Democrat, someone who's more liberal will say, well, no, that's not actually a problem. Actually, the problem is this. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I just think it's a very counterproductive way to go about an argument. I think if we just say, hey, this problem is what it is. Let's look directly at it, and I think we can fix it. And if we just keep that mindset, okay, let's deal with the problem first and foremost. If we put our energy into fixing that and it doesn't happen, okay, then let's maybe take a step back and look at what, what it isn't. Um, don't want to get into too many super offensive issues, but as an example, um, obviously as someone who lived in Jerusalem for a long time and will be going back, the biggest thing that's facing the world right now is you saying, you know, Islam, Islamic terrorists. They, they say, I say, well, there's a lot of Islamic terrorists. And then right away people go, okay, well, there's a lot of peaceful terrorists. There's a lot of peaceful Islamic people. What you did is, is you, made, you made a true point. That's 100% true. There's a ton of peaceful people that are Islamic. But what you also did is you veered around the problem of what the true problem is, is that there's 1.2 million acknowledged Islamic terrorists that said, we are radicals, we're killing to defend the sake of the Quran. Um, in Chicago, I grew up in Chicago. Chicago, in the inner city, African-American community in Chicago, it's the highest murder per capita GDP in the world. I like to say that in that community, people are making poor decisions for whatever reason. We need to fix that. And then, obviously, people go right to the systematic argument. And there is systematic problems. There is. But I don't know what – I don't. I completely agree that there is. But I just don't know what going right to that argument does. How is that going to fix it? We can't change the system immediately i mean it's going to take a long time to change it we can't change it immediately what we can change immediately is trying to hold people accountable for their actions to a higher extent that's what i mean when i say it is what it is yeah i think i think that makes a lot of sense to me um and and i appreciate you calling out the systems as not necessarily the wrong answer just a different answer 
Um, I'm a systems person. Like this is this is what I'm going to school for is to study systemic change. Sure. Um, and and I think that that's a really helpful reminder that the the short direct solution um, in my world is almost always not what I'm going for. But that doesn't mean I should always discount it. Um, that sometimes real change can happen uh, with with kind of the shorter goal per, goal post. And that you know, having lived on the south side of Chicago for four years, yeah, that speaks to me quite a bit. Um, and I completely on that particular issue, I I disagree. I don't think there's a short answer, but I really get your logic. So thank you. Thank you. Do you think that there's a difference between which one happens first? You do think that it should be the systematic answer first, and then the pro- what the problem is second. Or do you think that maybe if it was focus on the actual problem first, and if we can't fix it, do you think it matters which happens which happens first? I mean, obviously every case is so different and it's really complicated. So I I really appreciate the reminder that just because something doesn't address the systemic point doesn't mean it's not helpful, right? And sometimes we don't need to fix the whole thing at once where it's just not practical. Government doesn't have the money. We don't have the people in place, you know, on and on and on. Um, I do tend to think you know, that anything that doesn't address the system in which a problem is happening is a Band-Aid or is temporary. Um, But that still doesn't mean that it's not important or that it couldn't bring about other good changes. So it's not really a matter for me of, uh, I do agree with you that there are cases in which, because the systemic change takes much longer, right? Like always. Um, So it shouldn't necessarily come first or in place of, a shorter term, you know, option. I, I just, I don't like thinking about it that way because I think I'm also someone who says, well, let's do both, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, but, but it's tough in government because there's su- significant resource constraints. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you have to make choices about what's going to get done for more than just resource reasons for ideological reasons as well. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on this, this, challenge of if and and i do think i don't know if it's maybe it is a party lines thing but um i think it's just kind of an approach sure thank you that was the best response i've gotten from someone who i know has different viewpoints than me when i say that so i appreciate that yeah yes the experiment (laughs) called the mj's ignorant podcast appears to be working Uh, if you can stick in for three more questions, Bailey, yes. and we'll try to we'll try to zip through them. Um, first one is: What is a Trump policy you support and a Trump policy you do not support? As the one that actually um, just got passed, although there were quite a few issues with it, was tax reform. Um, I mean, immediately after we saw companies opening up doors to bonuses, uh, hiring expansion, which is incredible to see. Um, as a college student who's looking forward to getting hopefully good employment in the future, um, it's refreshing to see that companies are getting that opportunity to prepare for the future workforce. Um, one policy I don't necessarily support right now, it's 50-50. There's some points I do and some points I don't is immigration, actually. Um, there are key points that I think he makes that a lot of people have been scared to make, but at the same time, 
I don't necessarily agree with his methods 100% in implementing immigration strategy, which sets me a little part a little bit, but... Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Method, awesome. method meaning executive order? Um, method meaning building a wall, per se. Ah. Um, so his policy. <laughs> so, okay, but here's my perspective on it. Um, a, we already have somewhat of a wall in place. Um, we have a fence. And for me, it's we obviously can see right now that it's not necessarily working. Um, we still have people catapulting things over. They're still getting through with coyotes, which coyote runs for immigrants are extremely dangerous and just inhumane. The conditions that those people have to go through just to try to get to a place where they just want freedom is just, it's insane. I took a class this past semester that focused on Chicana literature, which is focused especially on the border of U.S. and Mexico. And growing up in a hometown that also has a large population of Hispanic people who are immigrants or um, are like descendants of first or second generation immigrants, it's heavily impacted how I view this subject. And I think that instead of bringing this money into building the wall, well, yes, we can use some money to reinvest in security forces, training practices, maybe even using what we already have. I think the money would almost be better spent reforming the bureaucracy of the immigration system right now, because right now we have incredibly long wait times. We have expensive, like granted, it it is going to cost money, but it should not cost someone that money and that much time. And I think if someone is willing to go through that process and do it everything legally, then they deserve a pathway here. Um, Then again, with that, I have to add in, I don't believe that if you're here illegally, like you are here illegally. Um, And I know people who have invested time and money to to come here legally and do things the right way. Um, So I fully support doing things the right way. And I just, I'll say that. Okay, um, shuffling order a little bit, Ryan, uh, the question of a Trump policy you support, one you don't. I think the tax bill will be one that I'll support. I think it's a little early to conclude that that'll be uh, a great uh, piece of legislation. Um, I think it has the potential to be um, his term, his presidency, one or two terms, whatever it is. Um, that might be the, uh, the most significant one because if, it's anything, if it is anything like the 80s uh, process we went through, that carried with it a good 10 years of uh, growth that stemmed multiple presidents, multiple different controlled congresses. Um, so here's to that. We'll, you know, like, like always, we'll see. Um, one that I'm, um, that bothers me is the whole Affordable Care Act, Obamacare item. Um, from a logical sense, you can't repeal it and then replace it. You have to have a replacement set up and then you can replace it with that replacement. <laughs> Um, that's an item. So you, that, to, to clarify, you'd just be in favor of replace. Well, it's clear. Our Democratic governor said that it's terrible. And we actually have our own, uh, whatever you call it, uh, private market or our own uh, Minnesota market. Yeah, MinCare. It's great. Min-care. Or MinSure. But yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, no one thinks the Affordable Care Act is good and working. I don't, it, that's pretty much more the one political thing I think everyone can agree on. What to do with it, that's where the debate starts. Um, but I do think that um, you can't just cut it off because, you know, there is abuse in the program. Absolutely. I've seen it firsthand. But there is relevancy to it, obviously. There obviously is importance to it. And you can't just uh, take it away and then think of what you're going to replace it with. You need to have a plan in place and then, repl- then 
ease that into it, kind of, so to speak. Uh, and Republicans definitely, I don't know if they, Fox News, talk, I don't know what the, I don't know where the repeal and replace cliche got uh, started, but it makes no sense. It's, that's not how you do this kind of thing. Um, I agree with the, the premise or like the idea behind it, that something better utilizing private markets, allowing uh, open border insurance to cross over to create lower uh, premiums and better competitive rates. All that kind of stuff can be very good for it, but um, how they're handling it is awful at the moment. Okay, awesome. Um, Sarah, before you jump in, uh, I'm just going to ask Bailey um, a few of our remaining questions because we've got her for a limited time. Um, So, Bailey, um, next question. If it were 2020 now, would you support Donald Trump? Um, So this is the question of the hour, I feel like. Um, (laughs) I have to say, I don't know at this point. Um, A lot can change in the next year um, before 2020 campaigning really kicks up. Um, I have to say, I don't know because a lot, like I said, a lot's happened. A lot can happen. And we don't really know what the field is going to look like then. Um, I mean, optimistically, it would be nice to have him for a continuation of eight years. We can see if the policies actually work. Um, but out of, outside of that, it's it's politics. Things change mm-hmm. quickly. Okay. Uh, next question. What's your gut feeling on Trump and his campaign's involvement with Russia? Have your feelings changed as the investigation has developed? Um, I personally do not want to comment on this until they have more official documents released and more of an investigation released. I feel okay. like a lot of it right feeling? now. This is a great question. <laughs> I just feel like a lot right now is speculation and there's a lot of emotion involved. And I'd rather hear the facts and findings before making a decision and discussing it. But what's your feeling? This isn't about facts and findings. What's your feeling? <laughs> I prefer facts over feelings, though. Oh, my God. I love oh, it. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. That is music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think Bet Shapiro is the one who said facts don't care about your feelings. Sorry, Sarah. Oh, but my Sarah, God. Facts, don't feel, <laughs> facts don't care about your feelings wins. And you I'm and sorry. I went to Lawrence, <laughs> and you should know awesome. that's right. I know uh, that's right. That's why I love this question because I think so often we ask people fact-based questions and we get feelings as the answers. And so I love that you just asked what someone's feelings are and they said, I want to wait for the facts. I think that's great. Okay. Let me me rewrite the question on the fly. Let me rewrite the question on the fly. Hold on. How can I have an emotional reaction if I don't know the facts? I mean, I mean, to be fair, that's what emotional reactions are. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know, but I'm saying, like, I want to have emotions that aren't based on false information. Like, if I'm going to react to something, I want to know as much information as I can. And right now, I don't think, like, we know enough. We know a lot. We do, but do we know everything we should, is what I'm saying. All right, let me me rewrite the question on the fly for you, Bailey. Bailey, you're Robert Mueller. The UN walks up to you and says, indict Trump or not. What do you do? Oh, that's a worse question. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't answer that one. Okay, all right. For the all starters, right. the UN isn't going to be in that position. Okay. Second. <laughs> the UN does not have enough power. <laughs> yeah, they can't do anything. Um, uh. I'm going to elide the, the next question to make it a really short version of the question for Bailey. Um, okay. What do you think about the way that the Republican Party is going about passing legislation 
And if you, if the Democrats did the same thing, would you be upset? Honestly, I don't think it's any different than how anyone would in a situation like this. Um, in positions of power, people are willing to do what they do, what they can to pass what is most important to them. Mm-hmm. And the tactics we're seeing aren't anything unfamiliar from my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, politics will get dirty sometimes, whether we want it to or not. We don't live in a utopia. Um, we live in a reality of this is life. And um, I think that politicians are willing to do what they have to do. And that doesn't stay in one party or not. It's both parties that would be doing it in that situation. Excellent. That's an awesome answer. Thank you so much. Last question. What do you wish Trump critics knew about you? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is people assume that um, all everyone in the Republican Party thinks the same way. And I think that's completely false, especially for women. They think um, we all have this one like unified front. And while we do, we all have our own opinions and we all have our own perspectives and takes on things. And I think that the more conversation we have like this, um, the more, like the better everyone will be. So I think knowing that like, you can talk to Republican women and we're not going to bite you. I promise. Um, we actually like having conversations and hearing why you have the way it is. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that the Republican party and even just me as like a member of it, um, that we don't want to talk and we don't want to listen when a large majority of us do. Awesome. Bailey Lesage, thank you so much for being on the MJ's Ignorant podcast. I want to be respectful of your time, so we're going to let you go now. And uh, thank you. we'll so continue sorry. down the question. <laughs> That's okay. Um, we understand, you know, how busy life can be. And uh, it was thanks so much. To you. Yeah, it was lovely meeting you all. Nice to meet you. Nice to conservatives are in Madison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we're doing well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, bye everyone. Bye bye. Okay, so we're to the um, the kind of legislative process, which I'll be honest, this is the Trump supporter Christmas special, and this is more of a legislature question. Uh, the question was written by Josh, who was going to be on the episode before his beautiful baby Jonah was born. And uh, so I'm going to just ask it on his behalf, and I'll read it as he wrote it. What are your thoughts on the current approach to passing legislation, budget reconciliation, thin majorities, expedited timeline? Would you support Democrats doing the same thing the next time they're in power? We'll start with Bernie. I'm going to let Ryan go first. I'm not sure to answer this one. Okay, cool. Ryan? The next time they're in power, they're going to be in power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not part of the question. I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun. Um, you, you know, yeah, I kind of struggle with the, the premise of the question a little bit because I don't feel like anything's really happened that's uh, unprecedented, kind of like as Bailey had said. Um, I mean, the Affordable Care Act, for example, off the top of my head, is the, the obvious one that was basically was pushed through Republicans were shut out of the meetings for it, or they were told to get on board or get out of the way. Um, there was very, you know, when Obama, especially Obama's first term when the Democrats had control of everything, there was very, a very strong uh, sense of 
you know, we have control. We won. We're going to do what we want. And they're not, they weren't wrong in that, to be honest. Um, that's to the victor goes the spoils. So I struggle a little bit with um, anything happening now that didn't already happen. If anything, I think this question is flipped that the actions of the Democratic Party over the last decade have basically, in my mind, not, at least it hasn't prevented what's uh, any aggressive legislation passing. But I, I don't agree with it because the health care thing lost. Republicans actually voted based on their constituents and what they felt. They didn't just blindly unify like the Democrats always do. So, you know, if, if this question would, were true, then health care would have passed as it was written originally and not been shot down. And then we all made fun of the Republicans not being unified and everyone hates Trump. So, can, yeah, can I you guess specify I for me the ignorant one. Um, what was health care as written originally? What are you referring to? I have no idea. Uh, I'm, ref- I'm referring to what was it? Maybe three months ago, I think uh, there was a vote on the health care um, repeal and replace Obamacare. Um, in my opinion, I think it was a little thrown together because they wanted to just say they tried. Um, the one that McCain was the big one that he uh, voted against. And I think there were, I, I forget the other, I think, three Republicans. Is this a Graham, Graham Cassidy sponsored bill? I believe so. I believe that was okay. the name of it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, if Republicans were, in fact, you know, taking advantage of their win and pushing everything they wanted forward, I think that would have passed then. So the fact that it didn't, I think, suggests that Republicans are actually operating more so like the government should. Can I, you you can tell me if this is not allowed. Uh, Clarifying question. You, you said <laughs> that you don't feel like anything has happened that has been out of the ordinary mm-hmm. and that you don't think the question was based in fact. And I, I didn't get any of this out of time. I haven't prepared, but we could actually point to a number of things that have happened in this fall's Congress that were unprecedented. Um, I'm thinking most recently the tax bill that was over 500 pages, some of which was handwritten, that I believe the senators had less than 48 hours to read and vote on. I mean, so I know that that Obamacare was unpopular when it passed, um, particularly with Republicans, but it wasn't rushed in the same way that some of these bills have been rushed. So that's one example maybe of something that you're saying doesn't feel like it's different, but the facts would in fact indicate that it's different. And given our little feeling versus facts thing earlier, I just had to ask well, about that. Well, I I, th- I did a, I cheated and did a quick Google search on the ACA bill and I came up with 20,000 pages. And I know for a fact that Pelosi, one of the leaders, and people like around here hadn't read it yet. They just trusted that it was good. So at best, I would say it's a push. But the fact that I think there is, you know, the, the gravitude of a, it's a, a tax cut versus a universal health care overhaul. I would say healthcare wins on the uh, large, massive uh, level of how important it was, or how. Uh, so when that gets pushed through over a tax bill, we'll say, for the sake of argument, got pushed through. I, I mean, it was voted on. It, it was voted. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it maybe it wasn't read. I don't. I can't speak to the senator's reading. Yeah. Comment, but 
Um, I guess I see similarities between the two at, at best. So. I totally get why this isn't a debate podcast. I apologize. (laughs) That is, that is okay. And you know, um, unfortunately we don't have the time or the resources to like do a, like who voted on what and had what amount of time to read what, um, but, but right. So in the spirit of the question, uh, I heard Ryan's answer to be a little different from Bailey's in that she kind of said, yo, that's how the game is played. And I think Ryan's saying, mm, I don't really think that's how we're playing the game. Is that right? Um, no, I think I more agree with Bailey than, okay. than maybe you're That's you're just saying. how the game is played. Yeah. So I, I was trying to kind of, paint the picture that Republicans aren't doing anything um, that hasn't been done before by democratic controlled Congresses or presidencies. So uh, channeling Josh here, who I've never met. um, (laughs) I think he's asking though, you know, or that his follow-up question might be, so then you'd be cool with it. uh, If let's say in the midterms, everything gets flipped and the Democrats start doing this in 2019. Well, let me put it this way. If if you don't read something and it turns out to be a colossal failure, you shouldn't get reelected. So how a Democrat can support a If you Democratic don't read something candidate. and vote for it, you shouldn't get reelected, yeah. right? Yeah, cor- correct. That, okay. I mean, if you, you know, it's like taking the bar exam. I could guess on every question and I could pass, theoretically. Nah. <laughs> That's why I make a terrible lawyer. <laughs> you know? Sarah says, nah. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I think we've um, you know beat the, beat, yes. beat the dead horse that is this question. I just want to um, pass it to Bernie to jump in. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna skip. They're they're too far ahead of my level as far as talking about legislation laws and passing laws. Perfect. I have, yeah. no, and you've, I have no way you've, to connect um, this to anything. That yeah, I and you've you've definitely spoken to your lack of involvement in you know de facto politics, and so this is right. a really political question, and to skip it is completely allowed. Okay. Um, we're going to jump into something completely out of the nooks and crannies of political process here with the next question, which is mine. Uh, here it goes. Trump can be negative and even inflammatory in his public remarks and on social media. How does that affect your opinion of him? Right, right. Um, I was talking to my rabbi yesterday and, you know, I definitely gained a little bit of insight as far as I don't think Trump is necessarily a good person. Um, I don't think he's doing a lot of the things that he's talking about that he supports with Jewish people as far as the morality, the type of things that that Jews have done. I think he just admires the business side of things. Um, So as far as the things that he does, I don't don't really agree with how he talks about women. I know that I'm sure he's done a lot of the things. A lot of the things that a billionaire uh, narcissist would do to women and says about women, I don't agree with any of that. Um, and um, but I think that you got to look at the people that are judging him. Um, you got rappers and you got rappers saying this guy's offensive. You got people saying this man's offensive. I have I have friends of mine that go to the other side of things, come up to me like, "Can you believe he said that?" I go, "Dude, you say worse things than that to me every single day." So I think that's, um, I think that's a very misleading thing about him. Can you repeat the question one more time? I'm so sorry. No problem. Sure. the The full question is: Trump can be negative and even inflammatory in his public remarks and on social media. How does that affect your opinion of him? Right, and I think that 
every there's a time in everyone's life where they need to rise above or be bigger than the situation or just say, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger man. Uh, I think the amount of power that he has, it had that that point he hasn't reached that point yet. He hasn't had to just own up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm going to avoid this topic. I think it is all a little bit juvenile. All the Twitter, the debating, you know that people are already out for your head. Why don't you just let these things go? Um, so on one side of things, completely, he, he is a little bit out of it. Money's gone to his head. The power's gone to his head. I think it's all a little bit juvenile. But on the same side of things, uh, on, on the other side of things, I think it's great to have someone who doesn't necessarily care what people think about him. It, it seems like he does because he's always quick to respond. But he doesn't care what people think about him. He's not so afraid of offending people. Um, and I think that the world needs that because if someone is truly always concerned about offending someone or what people think, you'll never truly be able to state the opinion that is your own opinion. And I've always been somebody that has been brutally honest. I have the opinions that I have. If people are going to get offended, um, I'm not going to sit here and apologize about my own opinions or what I said. What I will apologize is that if I haven't made enough of an effort to try to th see things more from your opinion. If I haven't made that consistent effort to see things more from your opinion, that I will apologize because that's being closed-minded and that's not doing the due diligence that you need to do to be able to be a more rounded individual with more rounded um, um, opinions on things. So, yes, I think he should be above it all, but at the same time, I think it's great to have a salesman, someone who's clearly in it for a lot of his own selfish reasons and also for reasons that are selfish for America and also true reasons why he thinks things that are going to be better this way and he doesn't have to apologize to anybody anywhere um, Obama clearly was consistently pandering to people, try, not trying to offend anyone, and I'm not sure that anything had gotten done. Okay, Ryan, the question on uh, negativity, inflammatory remarks in public and on social media. Yeah, so throughout my, uh, I guess we'll call it support, you know, or Trumpism or Trumpster uh, process, <laughs> I've never defended his uh, his rhetoric his uh, his methods um i've gotten into discussions with other conservative christian republicans of my, friends of mine that hate him for how how he speaks and i and i get it to be honest i get it my uh my kind of aha moment if you will came when i kind of reflected on you know what it what is rhetoric what is inflammatory and and I kind of started thinking about a lot of the speeches I heard on the on the Congress floor from various uh, Democrats and just the, the flat out lies that they would say. Now they would say it with more of a Harvard mouth, with uh, you know more eloquence and you know more five dollar words, and you know they sound more intellectual. I will I will totally uh, not going to argue that. But when I broke it down to the bones of it, they were still basically lying to the American people to, to push their agenda forward. And I, a difference I see is, you know, I don't see as much lying with Trump as people seem to think. I think he takes an extreme. So if, if the, if a lie is any remote, remote sense of truth being gone or I'm sorry, any remote uh, lie being present, then yeah, he exaggerates and he, uh, he's flamboyant in his words and stuff like that. But I see a little fight fire with fire with him. I see him very reactionary on social media that 
more times than not, he's usually the one that's attacked on something and he responds. How he responds might not be presidential. I, I won't argue uh, that concept. But I, I feel that when I hear other Democrats saying that Republicans want elderly people to die or that they don't care about poor people at all or that all they care about is rich people, like for me personally, those are just as inflammatory because those have attacked me more personally. If Trump wants to go after Rosie O'Donnell or Oprah Winfrey or you know whatever, I guess I don't care. I deleted my Twitter account, I think, just before he got elected. I since reopened it just for the sake of this podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I don't know how great of an answer that is, but I can just think of so many instances where Democrats just flat out lied for the sake of political gain. And no one cared. And now all of a sudden Trump sets things and goes after people and doesn't necessarily lie about it. He kind of maybe I feel like he uses more of a uh, lack of tact in his truth. But as someone that is a horrible wordsmith myself, I have a little sympathy towards the uh, the inability of speaking well. So, okay, Um, I want to I want to throw in. A bit here from a more personal, you know, I try to stay as objective as I can. Um, um, I will say that uh, you having a tough time as a wordsmith, um, it turns out you're not the president of the United States. <laughs> and, and that's an important part of the job. But, um, you know, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to kick it to Sarah to um, jump in with some thoughts about the answers to the question of negativity and inflammatory remarks. Yeah, I like that you asked about the negativity because I think that this is something really unique um, because he he harnesses it in such an interesting way. Um, and I think he uses people's anger and negative sentiments um, to fuel his messages, right? Um, the campaign platform of Make America Great Again, which is inherently saying, you know, something's wrong about where we are, which I think if anyone's running for president, you've got to think something's wrong and that you can fix it, duh, you know, um, or that you can at least make it better. Uh, but I'm also thinking about what Bernie said about Bernie Sanders, uh, just saying what's wrong and, you know, how how things are wrong and people have it bad and and kind of playing on this, like, oh, poor me sort of feeling. And I actually felt a lot of parallels between Trump and Bernie's campaigns in that way. So I guess that's kind of where I'm, I'm going at this with like the negativity and the inflammatory remarks. I felt like so often he was just trying to, and still with his tweets, um, sort of get people upset. And, and, you know, I, it seems to work for him, but I don't, I don't know what that makes me think of him. You know, it's a different way than saying what are his policies or how does he present them? Like it's a, it's a, it's a feely kind of question. If I can give kind of maybe as bipartisan of a idea as I, as I can, I feel like you're absolutely right that Bernie and, and Trump were, they basically were the same candidate in their own respects for considering it was just funny considering how opposite they are uh, policy wise. I can't get, so many people to see that, but thank you. I said this during the primaries. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to I see think, if I can't understand it. I th- yeah. I think Trump saw that a, a large portion of this country 
that were working hard, living their lives, doing their thing, and just were getting sick of everything that they saw. They, you know, the things that they maybe valued or, you know, maybe infringing into their personal lives with certain policy grabs, whatever you want to call it. There was definitely anger. Call it what you will. Mm -hmm. There was definitely anger there. Bernie on the other side really tapped into a, a group of people that felt that they should have a better life than they do, that they, for whatever reason, um, were dealt a bad hand or just need something to catch up to kind of achieve that, um, that same level that other people achieved easier in an easier light. And, and uh, so, uh, yeah, they definitely tapped into that. And I think they both used anger and negativity in their own way. Uh, Trump was basically saying the things that people more or less felt inside that they would only say when they sat around their family members. And Bernie was saying the things that people were like, Hey, yeah, someone that has a seat at the table can speak to what we care about, but they're so extreme. And I think kind of more minority, like that level of anger, but now it's just spilling over now because everyone feels that you basically are a Bernie or a Trump person. You know, and so now everyone's kind of just picking their sports side and joining them, <laughs> regardless of if they truly feel that way or not. And I think the average American, honestly, doesn't feel either extreme. Um, like I kind of said before, I feel that more people just kind of have their life. They're doing their thing and they kind of want government more or less out. They don't want it gone completely because they recognize it's needed, but they don't maybe want it. They just want it done right, I think. I think that's something that everyone kind of feels or can agree on, but that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just learning on this one. This is a tough one for me, so I'll, I don't have anything but to add. But I like both your points. Thanks. Okay. If it were 2020 now, would you support Trump? I wanted to say one thing and I will have to go in a minute. So I just wanted to end with this just cause it's so fresh in my mind. It's not exactly answering your question. Maybe you can move it around, but um, Bailey was talking about it, about the wall. And I, I do have some pretty strong opinions about that. Just coming from being in Mexico and central and South America, you know, I met a lot of people that actually had people they knew died because they were trying to go to America. You know, if you're trying to go into America, you're shot on site. So right off the bat, it just, just shocks me that someone, you know, there is an aspect of a wall that will be saving lives. And all people can say, oh, he's building a wall, how dare he? Well, at the end of the day, building a wall will stop people from getting shot from running across the border. And saving lives is always going to be the most important thing. I don't care. That's always going to be the number one. But And this is the question, what do you agree with something with Trump and what do you disagree with something with Trump? I'm the last thing I'll answer. So obviously I disagree with that all that money that the really, really wealthy have. I'm not saying they should don't all that, donate all that money, but I think that they should be building systems. They should be putting systems in place. Obviously, the age-old adage, you don't give a man a fish, you teach a man to fish. If you can put systems in place, you can fix problems. And I think these multimillionaires have enough money to, to make a system, and it's a clear solution. Everyone in America should speak Spanish. I'm sorry. Everyone in America should speak Spanish and English. Everyone in Mexico, South America, Central America, they should speak Spanish and English. It should be required in all schooling. And there should be more systems in place for people to be able to go in between countries. This is what I just did. I taught people English. I learned Spanish. It's creating more of a connect. 
And I think if we can put those systems in place, we can create a much better relationship between the countries and people can come here legally. Look, well, and I think I, I think uh, that goes beyond the wall. I think we could talk about some of the stuff, and I think it's Chris Christie who talked about it—the very highly technical, technological approaches to visa control and fingerprinting and all that. I might have that wrong, but it sounds like that's kind of the stuff that you're you're aiming at too. With that, if we put the money into the right, well-designed systems, we can we can make stuff that actually allows us to manage this stuff and not have it always be a crisis. Exactly, exactly, and it can be a beautiful thing. I mean. I had the experience of my lifetime being able to help teach someone English and, and to learn Spanish from them and the relationship that could we could be having between America and South America right now could be could be an amazing thing. But I'm sorry, there's a lot of eggheaded Americans. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of people down there that are eggheaded as well because they want to come to America so bad, but none of them are putting their resources towards learning English. And I'm, I think the onus falls on everyone too. I think that if, if a lot of the money was being spent in the right places, a lot of the right funding, they could learn English at a young age. They could do the proper testing. They could pass the background checks, and they could come into this country legally. But what I see is these people who've dug themselves into a rut down there. They've never learned any English. They've gotten themselves into a life of crime, and then what they do is they try to escape it all. We all try to escape our past. It always catches up with us. So at the end of the day, the people that are making the right decisions and are doing the right things and are putting in that extra effort deserve to get rewarded. So I think that we're once again, we're, we're sitting here and we're blaming Trump oh, it's Trump's fault for the wall. That's a terrible racist idea. He's trying to build a wall. So many other problems going on. And the problems, it always comes down to the poor decisions that people are making. We're all making poor decisions. Every one of us in this podcast, every one of us in your house, everyone in this world is making poor decisions. No one's perfect. I'm not saying you're making all horrible decisions. I'm saying you can all be better. Everyone can always be better. Now, you can, when I say you need to be better, does that mean you're doing terrible? Well, the way the world is right now, if I say you need to be better, most people are going to say, what are you saying? Am I doing something wrong? I'm not doing enough. Are you saying I'm a bad person? Don't say any of that. I'm saying you need to work on being a better person every single day. If that's the onus, if that's how somehow Trump is able to create that narrative out of all these people getting riled up, out of looking directly at the facts of what the problems are, then we will leave this election and this presidential campaign in a better place than we were. And I think that the wall is a perfect example People are dying. Let's stop people from dying. People aren't learning English. Let's help them learn English. So in that sense of things, I think there's always a, a justifiable solution um, on a way that we can hold people accountable. If, if that's not going to work, then we can always look at the secondary approach. But the primary approach always needs to be that there's a practical explanation for how people can improve. Awesome. Bernie, thanks for being on the podcast. Can I Good. ask you a question that's... Um... That's just a quick list the answer to as your last question for today. Yeah, because my, um, my phone call is coming in right now, so I have one more question. That's fine. Okay. Um, the question is, where do you get what you consider trusted information about political topics? That's a great question. Um, I get all my trusted information from the people that are smarter than me that I learn from. Um, and that's and people you know say- personally, right? People that I know personally, yep. Okay. Um, I surround myself with a ton of different people that are much, much wiser than me in every single aspect. Obviously, everyone carries a bias based off their own experiences and their lives, so you always have to try to translate things into your own public opinions. Um, but uh, the people that I study with are people much smarter than me. They're world-renowned rabbis who have multiple PhDs and travel around the world giving speeches. 
um, and people who run institutions on teaching languages um, and people that have been knee deep in military operations throughout Israel um, and rabbinical ordinances. So I, I learned with some of the most well-known guest speakers in the world, and that's who, the people that I get in for my information from. But obviously, you always got to keep in mind that people do have their own biases, um, even if I don't think that it's um, malintent. Question? Oh, Bernie? Sure. Oh, really, really quick. Um, I don't know any Jewish people or any people that have been to Israel. Um, the, the capital of Israel, in your opinion, like what would you say it was even like two years ago, three years ago? Right. Well, the eternal capital and the resting place of the Jewish people will always be Jerusalem. Okay. Obviously, we, everything that we do, every move that we make, everything that we think, everything that we feel, it all comes from a book called the Torah. So we have a very, very specific rule book for everything. Every way we live, a lot of things that I said, a lot of things that I'm doing right now, it's based off 613 rules that I have to follow. So, um, of course, in our, in our minds, Jerusalem is ours. Um, I don't want to get too much in a religious standpoint, but what Trump did by, by declaring Jerusalem as the capital is just being vocal about the thing that no other president had, had the gall to do. Um, we all say we every American, we're all Americans in this podcast, we say that we support Israel because it's it's pretty much the alliance that's holding the world together. If America doesn't support Israel. Israel falls to the country surrounding. And then all the Christians in America's dreams all fall apart because the only way that Jesus is going to come is if all the Jews are in Israel and Israel is, is occupied by Israelis, Jews. So what Trump did is he, he did something that no one else ever would have done because anyone else wouldn't have been able to do it. There would have been too much backlash and no one else would have been able to deal with it. Um, but he backed up the point that is Jerusalem and Israel it belongs to the Jewish people. Um, now that that's happened, there'll be more and more Jews, American Jews like myself, returning to Israel. And it will strengthen its, its, its hold. And, and that will really strengthen the, the Christian-Jewish alliance that is because, um, you know, obviously the only way that Jesus can come is if the Jews are all back there. So Christianity, America go hand in hand. So it's all it's really all one alliance. And, and what he did was amazing. Um, you know, Obama would have never done it. He talked about it. He would have never done it. No other president would have ever done it. So obviously in the Jewish circles here, um, front Trump is a pretty big hero right now. Uh, I saw a video the other day where there's a bar mitzvah and everyone's wearing I love Trump shirts. So, you know, it's gotten to a pretty high extreme. Um, but he's clearly doing what every other president in America said that they were always going to do. And I don't get how there's people in this world in America right now who say that they're Christian Americans, but then they want to boycott Israel. Uh, it's, it's very confusing to me. If you're not Christian and you're American, well, guess who's helping America with its stronghold? Israel is. So um, that's a very complicated answer, but I hope I answered your point. No, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bernie. Um, I'll, I'll admit that I'm one of the most ignorant topics that I have is Israel and Palestine. Um, I think this little bit that we just had has convinced me I need to do an episode on it. Um, so Bernie, consider yourself invited back sometime in the future uh, to discuss those topics. Right. But um, in any case, we're respectful of your time. We want to make sure that you get off in time for your other call. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being on the podcast, and we really appreciate your contributions. Thanks.
Thank you, guanine. Thank you, thank you guys. Sure, nice Thanks, to meet Ryan. You. Thanks, Sarah. And more importantly than that, make sure to call me back for that comic book podcast. Okay, that's, yeah. that's, let's yep. put our priorities um, where they need to be. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a shameless <laughs> plug in. I also produce for the Hero Meets Villain podcast, and uh, Bernie's going to be on there in the future. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm definitely a Jewish comic book character. Another one. So okay, thank Perfect. you guys. All nice right, talking to you. Take care. Good night. Did you answer 2020? Uh, I, I actually think I actually think um, before we jump there, Ryan hasn't answered. What's your gut feeling on the Russia investigation? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, do, do you have the text <laughs> of the question there in front of you? Yeah, I do. I do. I have the sheet that you sent us. Okay. Yeah. Great. Go for it. Well, I guess to be honest, no. My gut feeling is there isn't anything there. I, I mean. It's kind of, I feel like it's not as simple as a, did Russia hack the election or did they meddle? I mean, I'm hearing so many different narratives that um, from, it started with they hacked, then it was they hacked into voter registration servers, which is totally different than getting a person elected. Okay, let's um, let's scale it back from um, yeah. some of the, uh, the um... oh my God, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Minutia. <laughs> that's one word. Um, <laughs> let's take it back from the um, the internet and hacking and uh, ah. kind of digital age pieces. Um, let's okay. just take it straight to a relationship between Trump and, Pu- and Putin and um, kind of Trump communicating with Putin, looking for help getting elected, Putin looking for Trump being president as an ally for his own aims that might be not in the interest of the United States. And this, and we're uh, we're operating like we think this happened. That's the, asking, that's the question. No, what what what's your feeling in reaction okay, to the the idea of it? Yeah, I don't think that in any way, shape, and form is the case. I think if Russia had involvement, if we look at Russia's history with uh, meddling, I'll use the thing with my fingers. Um, they want chaos at best. Whether or not they made efforts to create that chaos or simply having the suggestion of it created the chaos. I, I obviously don't have uh, security clearance for that kind of information. <laughs> okay. So then the, 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 the really narrow question of did the Trump campaign chat with them and say, Hey, if you can do this chaos mongering to get me elected, that's great. You say no. Yeah. Obviously never say a hundred percent, but I'll say 99 point whatever. Okay. Cool. We're down to two people. So it's just the two of you, Sarah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I don't think I have a clarifying question on that. I just love that question still. Okay. It doesn't clarify. <laughs> right. It's like, what do you, what do you feel? Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Let me put it this way. My recollection, when I think back to all the re- speeches I heard, Trump made that comment about Hillary's servers and he said, ah, maybe Russia can hack in and look at it. And from my standpoint, that was the first instance that any of this uh, potential dialogue started. There was talk about do, it. Do we, uh, off the top of our heads, have a date on that? I want to say it was maybe July, like, so what? July 16? I know that before that, when Obama was president, maybe a, two years ago now, 
he was asked a question about that. And it wasn't Trump wasn't, I don't think, even announced yet at that point um, about Russia concerns over security and things like that. And, you know, he assured that there's no way Russia can meddle with our election, hack our election, anything to that effect. Um, so that then when it all started kind of seems convenient. And then uh, is there evidence that I know? I mean, is there any, you know, there's been a year and a half investigation into this. I, you know, I, I held out doubt. I thought there's a chance maybe, you know, but at what point do we say, look, we've depleted how many resources into this. Everyone wants it to be true. Like, mm -hmm. you know, probably half, at least half the nation for sure. And probably 23% of the Republican party wanted it to be true. Oh, that may be fair. I was going to say, I don't want it to be true. That's really scary to me. Oh, it but is. All <laughs> oh, right. What's well, scary? Yeah, I think I think when you say you want it to be true, you mean like they want to see Trump with his yes. his his hands red, not that they Thank want you. something horrible and undemocratic to happen to us, right? Thank you. Yeah, that's a okay. perfect clarification. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, so, so I have two clarifying questions. Um, timing wise, um, when is the supposed Don Jr. meeting with Russian intelligence person or whatever? Anybody know? Hmm. When yeah. when did it happen? Yeah, when was that supposed to have happened? I think it was what October, if I remember right, of okay, must have been 2016. I mean, what do you think of that? Of the no. the president's yes. son, you know, going allegedly to to meet with Russia and say like, what can we do to have you help us with this election? Is it even alleged? I thought he tweeted his own emails out. Fair enough. I believe the. Then what do you think of him doing that? If we can say he did that, like. So, yeah, I'm just going to go off of kind of re-reporting. So my understanding of the situation was the campaign was approached with information on Hillary. And a meeting was set up with, I, when I say Russian officials, it makes it sound like they're like right hands of Putin. I think they were pretty low level. The uh, There's a woman, and I'm, I'm blanking on her name now. She was like the point person, I think. Um, it sounds like the meeting was like they went to it. I mean, at the end of the day, are they not supposed to talk to anyone from Russia? I mean, how do you set up a diplomatic or a, a foreign that's a, policy? That's a Sarah question. I'm pretty ignorant. Okay. Uh, so uh, anyway, the whole the concept of someone that knows Trump spoke to someone from Russia. All of a sudden, now we have a Trump collusion with Putin. I, I, there's a there's a few jumps in there that I'm not comfortable making with the information that we have. So. I do it. Yeah, the meeting happened. It sounds like when the light came to came through that there was nothing there or nothing beneficial or it was. I think it was even considered to be um, what do you call it uh, fraudulent or like the motive behind it was different than the actual content of the meeting. Um, I think it was like a charity or something like that. If I remember hearing right, that they had a concern about, and then they laid all this stuff on. And then in which Don Jr. says he walked out. So. Whether or not we believe that, you know, I only he would know that, I guess. So, okay, I uh, I said I had two clarifying questions, but I'm uh, I'm blanking on the last one, so I'm gonna keep jumping on the list. Um, at this point, since we've really covered a lot, this might be a yes or no. If it were 2020 now, would you support Donald Trump in an election, general election? Um, so can I say one more Russia thing while we're? Please do. Okay, um, I guess. My biggest thing about it is, I mean, unless Russia hacked Hillary's itinerary 
to cause her to not fly to Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Michigan. And this is no, I, I, no, no I, I this is not, that's not a Russia statement. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I, I'm just saying that that's why Hillary lost the election. Can you, can you, that's also not a Russia statement. No, but so are you saying that he's wrong or that he didn't answer the question? Maybe both. Uh, I'm saying that's not at all what we're talking about, that all of a sudden he's getting into why Hillary Clinton lost the election, which is not the same question as is Trump's, you know, is there a relationship between Donald Trump and Russia or did Russia use Trump or Russia, Trump, Russia, you know, something there is kind of where we're living. And I'm not going to be able to withhold myself if we start talking about (laughs) Hillary Clinton's campaign strategy. No, no. If if I can elaborate a a little bit, though. It's just a different topic, though. I mean, go ahead, elaborate, but I'm I'm calling bullshit on it as a different topic. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, you're, you're calling bull because it's a. Uh, uh, I don't want to put the explicit tag on the podcast. Family <laughs> friendly. I'm sorry. You should never have invited me. Oh my god! No, I'm so happy I did. Actually, Sarah, I've loved this conversation with you greatly. Um, no, the reason why I say that, not to stir a pot of any kind. Um, the Russia collusion thing is sort of a narrative of that's how Trump won. Is Russia helped him? Would you say that's kind of the motivation behind it? Oh, um, that's how I read it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, yes, but, um, can, can I answer on your behalf, Sarah? Possibly, maybe. Because I think I, I, I think I have a shorter version. To me at once. Yeah, I think Probably. I have a shorter version of what you're you're trying to say, and it's that regardless of Trump, if of if Trump won or not, based on Russia's involvement, the fact that Trump possibly reached out to Russia to help him win is problem enough or accepted accepted Russia's help. Right. 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 It's, it's, it's really constitutionally a problem for another nation to get involved in our electoral process. Okay. Okay, And anyway, and so candidates should know that. Um, and I'm not saying whether or not Donald Trump was aware of that. I think there's a lot of things Donald Trump did unconventionally simply because he was not aware because he's not a political norms. professional. He's not a political professional. That's mm-hmm. a very good way to say it. He's not aware of laws and norms. Um, okay. That doesn't okay. mean that those laws that's, and norms aren't, aren't, you know, ignorance is not, I'm sorry, MJ is ignorant. Ignorance is not an excuse, um, <laughs> especially when you're running for. Well, right. And I like started a podcast. I didn't run for president. So. Right. And I mean, so when you say, well, it's about him winning because of this. Yeah, and it, it really has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton, you know, losing. Uh, okay. It's really about somebody attaining our highest office, our most respected political and, you know, world leadership position with the help of an outside country, which is by definition not democratic. Okay, so I probably unfairly applied other conversations I've had in my life with the notion that that's the only way Trump could have won is if Russia helped us. So we're, we're not refuting the fact that how that Trump the, maybe the winning or not is not relevant. So, okay. If I'll just look at the Russian involvement part, I'll go back to the notion that I don't see like this evidence other than, I know he's said it in a speech regarding Hillary's servers that again, we've talked about his uh, lack of tact at certain times that isn't presidential. Um, I guess I don't see this like evidence to have this certainty um, I feel like I would have to really want it to be true or, you know, or something to that effect to accept the lack of evidence that I see in front of me. 
think that's fair. And and stay tuned to the Mueller investigation, which is still ongoing, despite the fact that uh, Don Jr. has tweeted out his own emails with people that have a subject line of, sorry, I just closed it. Uh, something that was basically like Russia, Trump, Clinton was the subject line of the email. I mean, so. I respect I respect both you and Bailey wanting to wait until you have more information. Um, Do we have a top of the head number on how long the Watergate investigation took? I know if Josh was here, he would he would know off the top of the head. I love him, but uh, years I think. Yeah, um, I wanted to say it's like eight hundred days or something, but I I don't know that off the top of my yeah. head. Yeah, so I so know. something that Josh tends to remind me of is that we're in the um we're in the beginning stages, but. We're not necessarily here to to answer that question. We're here to kind of hear from people who supported Trump so that we can learn more and also be in community as the people who, you know, elect representatives for our government in a democratic country. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and jump to the next question, uh, which is that 2020 question um, for Ryan. If it were 2020 now, um, we're doing a general election. Would you vote for Donald Trump? Um, To be honest, I'm not sure he runs. That's, okay, not so, that's not the question. Yeah, thank you. No, Thanks, no, no, Sarah. No, I just want it on record if it happens. It's twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty. Donald Trump is running. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So, and I, well, I say that for a specific reason. I feel that with his age and with what he said he would accomplish and what he's done in his first year, he he might not have that rationale. But we'll say he he does run at the progress he's made at this point. Obviously, I can't speak to you know what might happen down the road. You know, um, if we stay with this notion of trying to have Democrats actually at the table for immigration and actually hearing their ideas before proposing to the control that the Republicans have, um, having the tax bill, if if that has the effect that the Reagan uh, tax cut actually had for our economy, um, I don't see any reason why, um, other than the fact that he's the Donald, um, that's really the only, like, negative to his presidency at this point. Um, and I know that's a big thing that people have trouble looking past. It took me a while to look past that. But at the rate we're at right now, I don't see how I cannot vote for him, you know, considering okay. I voted for him for less the first time around, I guess. Okay. So that's a yes. Uh, yes. Long-winded yes. I'm going to shuffle the order from my original outline. Um, what do you wish that Trump critics knew about you? Oh, I had a good answer for this and I'm, I'm blanking on it. Unfortunately, I, I feel that, um, Trump critics, I, I wish they understood maybe how they view him. It might not be in the proper light. I'm not going to make him out to be the greatest president ever or anything to that effect. I judged Obama on his policy. I judged Bush on his policy. I'm judging Trump on his policy and whether or not they are actually effectively making the country better. I wish Trump haters or uh, people that didn't support him knew that it's okay. It's okay to admit if we were wrong about stuff. Uh, I, I admit that I'm wrong about things when I realize I'm wrong. I think the biggest divide we have in the country is people are very stuck in what they believe to be truth and they don't want to acknowledge maybe I wasn't looking at this in the right light. And so for me personally, I don't have that 
that viewpoint of other people. Um, I worry that we're a little easily influenced by um, mob mentality on social media or, you know, retweeting funny things because they make us laugh, but they're really not encouraging good dialogue or anything like that. And uh, I guess not all, I'm just trying to say I'm not, uh, I'm not as much of a racist, bigot, homophobe that uh, <laughs> a typical Trump supporter might get, uh, might get labeled. Okay. So the, the, the short answer to the question is that you're not racist. You're not bigoted. You're not homophobic. <laughs> Want that on the record. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, going out to the internet whenever I finish editing. So <laughs> consider it on the record. Um, anything else? I mean, um, just that, that if somebody was a Trump critic and you met them on the street, you would want them to know about you personally before you even engaged in conversation with them. I, I guess I don't, I don't overly care, I guess if not to be too, uh, cold hearted, what people think about me, kind of like what Bernie was saying. I feel that, uh, not necessarily what they thought about you. What do they know about you? Like, what do they know about you as somebody who voted for Trump that they might not know when they form an opinion? Well, as someone that uh, two people that didn't vote for Trump and don't know me or know me a little bit and don't know me at all. <laughs> I would ask you, what, what was what's your impression? And I'll, uh, can I go back, answer it backwards? Uh, I'll let Sarah know that one or I'll let Sarah field that one since I've known you for many years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. No, I don't know. I'm a little confused about where we've gotten at this question. Um, <laughs> That's fair. So and, I, I'm kind of asking, instead of me answering what I wish a, a non-Trump supporter knew about me, I'm curious what a non-Trump supporter thinks of me. And I, and I can maybe build well, off I mean, of that. There's, maybe. there's two ways to go about this question. The one is is, you know, sort of like, not taking you in the specific example and the conversation that we've just had. And then there's taking you in this example and the conversation we've just had. And I don't, I don't know that either is fair. Um, I, I would think that, you know, I, I could say something to you right now about how this conversation has been, which is really enjoyable. Um, and I could say something about, you know, that I, what I think about Trump supporters generally, but that's not they really here nor there. So kind of for the same reasons you don't want to answer this question, I don't want to answer this question. <laughs> well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I wish I knew what they thought of me. Because I don't, I, to be honest, I don't. And I, I speak to many uh, Trump haters, both liberals and conservative-minded people. And I don't know what they really think of me or what I need to like clarify on that. I guess what I would say is that I, at least personally, I can't speak for a whole party. Um, I have absolutely no interest in oppressing the poor or minorities or exploiting the elderly's, you know, robbing their health care to pay for other things, bombs or whatever the cliches might be. Um, I think that honestly, ah, man, it's just so hard to answer. Like it's hard to come up with the words. <laughs> um, well, I, this this definitely wouldn't be the first time on the podcast that I've written an unanswerable question. Um, okay, I you know I had uh, I had Josh and then Steve Swedberg in uh, 
you know, doing vocal acrobatics, trying to navigate some sort of nonsense question I wrote about an imaginary <laughs> Middle America party. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, I, you know, if you're all both cool with it, we can move on. Uh, the question of where you get your trusted information on politics. Um, where I get my trusted information. So my uh, my system that I have, more or less, is whenever I hear something or see something, internet, TV, radio, wherever it might be, I find the source. If it's someone said something, I find the speech. If it's the the Muslim ban, you know, I pull up the policy. Um, I don't like the, uh, the, I guess I had a minor in marketing, so I may be a little more sensitive to this. I don't like buzzwords. I don't like cliches and phrases. Um, they distort the truth and they stir up whatever area party they're trying to stir up. So, I mean, Google, I guess, you know, more or less, I look for the .gov for if it's a policy so I can, I can read it. I can try it at my, to my best ability, decipher it, what it's saying. Um, and figure out what it's saying specifically. Um, I, I like certain shows that might play um, extended clips of a speech or something. Um, I don't like hearing just two sentences from someone without hearing the context in which they said it. Um, if if uh, if there's um, a couple of shows that you tend to gravitate toward, do you mind naming those in your answer yeah. to the question? So at, at the risk of changing everyone's viewpoint of everything I've said to this point, um, Rush Limbaugh is probably, his show has probably been the most uh, consistent over the years. I've periodically gone in and out of simply because he plays the extended clips from uh, from Meet the Press or from a, the, the Senate floor. He gives the, the contest, context that I can go find. And his site has links to the actual articles or whatever. It's actually pretty resourceful. So um, I, I'm so, able to listen. So from, to a, from a source material and resources perspective, you like Rush yeah. Limbaugh's? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch anything else on Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> I'm able to listen to it and understand um, the what you call it, propaganda versus okay. Okay. reality. So for whatever that's worth. And you said there's a couple. Is there any others that you like really much? There's a local show up here. It's called Garage Logic. It's a Joe Sushri. He's a reporter. He's been a Pioneer Press beat writer. It's actually ended up being a sports show for many years. But he uh, he takes a very common sense approach to things. He, uh, he's just, he's probably well into his seventies at this point. So he's been around the block and he gives a lot of, uh, context to what, how the, how these kind of acts play out. He really revealed or uh, pulled back the veil of, um, the political theater, if you will, um, that I appreciate. He, he promotes a, a common sense thing, kind of that, that gut feeling. So when you say, where do you get your political insights? It's not a great answer, but gut is kind of where where I, I go to um it's not perfect i understand that but i definitely feel that it's probably the most trusted resource that i have nowadays <laughs> um and and I, I pride myself on being open-minded to things i don't know um like you say mj they, you know what you know and you know what you don't know and mm-hmm. you know what you don't know find people that know it and see how it gels with you and what you've experienced so for sure. One of the things I love to say at work is it's the things I don't know that I don't know about that are going to, you know, 
really get me. Um, and I worry about that um, in politics too. I think there's a lot, especially as I kind of study this field and study international diplomacy, there's a lot that we don't know and we're not even aware that we don't know it. And that's, that's hard, you know, like regardless of who's in office or who's, you know, in, in what position, like, I think that's one of the trickiest things about politics. And I think that's something that makes it really inaccessible too. So mm -hmm. I, I hear you on people that help us sort of navigate resources and, and sort of distill information um, that, that, that can be really helpful. And, and I think there's a lot to be said about body language, tone, rhetoric. Um, a lot of times we read transcripts, we like see that so-and-so said this and they, they'll put the quote in and it, but if you actually listen to the speech you say and this goes i've had democrats too and i've had this where it's oh that was a joke or they didn't really mean it like how it's being reported and i think when you actually go to the source of of a speech or a, a verbal uh, controversy i feel like your common sense kind of kicks in you kind of can read the person a little bit and understand you know maybe what they meant by the words they said um, this is one of the things that makes um, particularly like Supreme Court decisions so interesting to me because we have to work with a written document, right? And there's these different schools of thought about how to interpret it. Um, and this is what I wish we spent more of our time talking about on um, political discussions, right? Is like, well, what do we really mean by this law or this philosophy or this plan? Um, let's, let's really hash that out and talk about it more. Um, but instead, I think this is kind of a, maybe it's not a modern phenomenon. Maybe it just feels like it. Um, we, because we have such access to people um, that we get into how did they say it and, and what did they really mean and, and nobody really knowing anymore, right? Um, I don't know where this question started, but I, I pre like, I agree with you. You have to go to the source and yet somehow we also have to rely on a written record. Um, we can't all be there. We can't capture it all as much as we feel like we can. Um, you know, that's just not how laws get made and that's not how, so it's a balancing act. I think we have to do both, but, but that's interesting. I mean, I read a lot of um, my news partly just because I've got this crazy weird class schedule. So I have to get things, you know, at odd times. Um, and I don't have the patience to sit and listen sometimes, but. Sarah, um, what are your, what are your trusted sources? I read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and I have some people I follow on Twitter who are like-minded, of course. Um, I like to read, I really enjoy reading in-depth pieces, uh, like what you find on Slate, um, or even um, sort of personal opinion pieces you can find on, you know, wherever. But um, I stopped listening to NPR during the campaign. I thought that their coverage was terrible. Um, Can you say terrible in what in what way? Uh, that this is what I found really frustrating um, was that they didn't really fact check. They just sort of said this is what was said on this side. This is what is said on that side, and I found that really irresponsible journalism. Mm. Um. So I listen to the BBC sometimes. I hate cable news, so I can't watch any of them. Yeah, that's, and I have the luxury of being in this program now. Um, so I've met a lot of people who, um, a lot of smart people, a lot of former Washington insiders. Um, 
And I think you're right. Talking to people and asking them questions, like that's a way better way to get information than anything else. So I think greater access to people in our political system is important. I want to um, I want to ask a question that I I'll ask you to answer as quick as you can, Ryan. Um, yep. And it's what would Trump do for you to just abdicate support to say nope, no more? What what would be in that category for you? Um, it would actually be pretty easy for me because I actually hold my policies truer than my parties. Um, I that's a good Minnesotan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, it, for me, it starts with the economy. I feel like the economy is probably the thing that touches everyone in this country in an equally meaningful way. Um, I get there's rich and I get there's poor, and that's just kind of unfortunately how it always will be. Um, but the strength of the economy is bigger than politics. I feel that, uh, you know, between markets, unemployment, you know, indicators like that, if those are strong, if or if those cease to be strong, if they if unemployment shoots back up to seven percent, if we have another recession, essentially, you know, um, like we had in 08, if something like that happened, and we can point at either a flawed tax plan or a um, you know fraudulent market bounce because everyone thought Trump was president, everything's we're all going to be rich, bye bye bye, and then that bubble popped, maybe, maybe a Trump bubble, if you will. Um, that would, you know, that would seriously hurt my, hurt my support for him. I don't think it would throw me into a Democrat per se, because I would be shocked if a Democrat's policies would be able to fix that in my view, at least. Um, something I, I will say though, that we have a president that a whole party doesn't like or hates and his own party probably has 40 to 50% support or so maybe 60 at best since the tax plan. I do feel that with regards to like the fascist, the dictator, like those kind of things that have been thrown around. This is a president that very easily would get thrown out of office. If he put the toilet paper on the, the wrong way, you know, if he definitely, I think he's accomplished a surprisingly amount of good things considering the amount of opposition he's had. Um, and I think that if, if we see the positive results from that, that I think we'll see, I'm hopeful that haters will um, maybe kind of rethink what they think it takes to run a country. I'm not saying vote for Trump 2020, but maybe rethink our, you know, Bernie Sanders like policies that I don't think I've ever heard a testimony from a, the foreign people I know from socialist countries or things, progressive countries that uh, those things have worked. So um, I'm hopeful that if things fail horribly, that people like me can have a realistic acceptance of that. Or if people, if it succeeds mightily, that maybe people on your side can look at it and go, okay, you know, we can have kind of a come to Jesus moment, as they say. <laughs> if, uh, if Donald Trump, proposed anything that would interfere with free and fair elections in the year 2020, would you drop them like a stone? Is that um, something like voter ID? No, uh, probably more severe than that. Cause that's a little of course, more okay. of a subtle one. Um, um, but if he was like, we've got to, we've got to figure this out and we've got to pause the election until we figure it out. Would you 
Because that's the kind of stuff that has historical precedent in the realm of authoritarianism or fascism. Yeah. If so, I'm going to take your question at at your uh, at your tone and stuff. And so, I'm going to say that absolutely, that would be not only impeachable, that'd be jailable, in my opinion. Um, that I would be floored if something like that actually happened. Um, I don't consider things like uh, voter ID and registration and things like that to qualify. Mm-hmm. as that but yeah if there was some sort of you know i mean someone suggests throwing out the electoral college might be <laughs> an extreme uh well case. let's hope if that happens it's bipartisan <laughs> um, i think we've got to leave it at that um yeah. ryan liddell and sarah davies breen uh, i thank you so much for being on the mj's ignorant podcast um it's been so fun, uh, you know, kind of extending the olive branch in the spirit of Christmas, uh, even though it is now January. Um, so uh, any last thoughts? Otherwise, uh, that wraps it up for today's episode. And uh, again, I thank you all so much for being here. Uh, this was a blast. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, if you ever uh, need a rational Trump opinion, let me know. All Hopefully right. I have achieved that. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, back at you on the other side. But thanks so much for having me on. This is a ton of fun.